Hello and welcome to the increasingly inappropriately named Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman, the equally should not have been named Sean Chapman. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it's appropriate that we have our names in the name of the podcast because we're here every time. Yeah. It's just that true. we're not here every time. Yeah. <laughs> every we week. should just put out like like static for an hour the weeks <laughs> that we're not here just to say that we had a podcast out. Yeah. And let me tell you guys, we had every intention of trying to do some kind of podcast these last two weeks, but it was just bit busy in real Yeah, life. we were both busy, and then there also was nothing. Like, if there had been something really big to talk about, we probably would have yeah. found a way to, but right. there's no point to, like, get together and talk about bullshit for, yeah. like, five minutes when we have other stuff to do, so. Yeah, it's just we had, uh, we were finishing up one of the summer semesters we're doing on campus, and it was... Very busy, as you might imagine. Yeah. And then there was just other stuff going on. And, I mean, you'll notice even over on, on the, the site, jonathanlack.com, I've really only been putting up the essay day entries. And when I say putting up, I mean Jonathan from Lat from May of this year scheduled all that. And they've been going out like clockwork because Jonathan from May knew Jonathan from July might be really busy. Yeah. So that stuff's been going out. Jonathan from, I like Jonathan from May a lot more than Jonathan from July, <laughs> to be totally honest. Oh, really? Have I just yeah. become, like, a terrible person since then? Yeah, I mean, Jonathan from May... I wouldn't call Jonathan from May a punctual person, but I would call him a more punctual person than Jonathan from July. Okay. Well, in any case, we're back to do some podcasting. and now Yeah, we we're stuff. back, motherfucker. Yes. So, after our two-week break, we're back. And, and I think we'll... There's pretty steadily there's going to be some topics here for a while. Because yeah. we've got... Um, the Destiny Beta starting up soon, and I realize that's crazy because our last podcast was the Destiny Alpha. Yeah, but we're gonna have that to talk about. We're gonna have the PlayStation Now services launching. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy coming out, which uh, definitely one of my more anticipated movies of this year. Yeah, yeah. And there's even there's a movie this week that I'm very excited for. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Right. Yeah. Is uh, from everything I've heard, it's getting really great reviews. Yeah, I'm not just great. Like there's people yeah. calling it a masterpiece, and and I liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the last one. I can never remember which one is which, but and especially if you like combine it with all the old Planet of the Apes right. movies, it's just confusing. Yeah. For me. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was primarily it was an interesting story, but it was mostly good God Andy Serkis is a phenomenal actor was where that movie's strengths was at, and. Um, and now I think it sounds like they've expanded that for this one, so maybe we can see that. They've expanded that. it with Gary Oldman. Yeah, that's always a good expansion. Yeah. It's just just like three drops of Gary Oldman to your movie, and just like, whoop. <laughs> yes. So I wonder, is it Gary Oldman doing his American accent or British accent in this one? I'm going to be I curious to see. from the trailer it was American, but I don't remember. Yeah, because the thing is... He was kind of shouting a lot in the trailer. When he shouts, it's always British. Yeah. There's that true. scene on the rooftop in Dark Knight where he's shouting at Harvey Dent, and it's he just completely loses his accent. Yeah. But it's hard to shout in a different accent. No, it's it is. very difficult. Yes. So in any case, yes, let's see what we're going to do today. Our main topic for today, and I was planning this for last week when it was mildly more relevant, but it still were around the midway point of the year. Um, we're at the beginning of July, or nearer the beginning of July than the end. So that's the halfway point of 2014. want to do a check-in on that, talk about what have been the best movies, TV shows, and for the purposes of this show, video games of the year so far. Yes. Sean. You're going to help me out hey. on video games. Yes, I, I will. Okay. And um, I'm probably going to handle the movie and TV side of it. Yes, because yes. as we talked about before we, did, I, we started recording this podcast, I've only seen like four or five movies. Yeah, so I've seen a lot, um, and I usually do this kind of feature um, on whatever side I'm writing for. I did it on We Got This Covered the last two Julys. I, I handled our Midway stuff. I did, I think, 
I think I did movies and I think I did TV shows one year. But either way, um, you know, it really sucks that Midway, the publisher, is not around anymore. Because then I would just put a bunch of Midway games on this list <laughs> just for that stupid joke. But okay, can't do that anymore. Unfortunately. What good games did Midway make? I mean, Midway was like a bunch of old, really good, like Gauntlet okay. and shit like that back okay. in the day. But, all right, yeah, like that's all. That's old shit. Yes, but before then, Sean. Let's just do some some stuff. What have you been up to? What have you seen? Anything to talk about like that? So, I think the biggest yeah. thing to talk about is that on our last podcast, you told the listeners about how you had a mouse in your apartment. Yes. Well, no, you spotted the mouse as it scurried across the floor. During the recording. That yeah, was during it. the recording. You're like, hey, dude, there's a mouse. And I was like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah, that dude, I, I, he, I noticed him yesterday. So, and we had several listeners ask you to please take care of the mouse humanely. Yeah. You have a harrowing story for us. Not a harrowing story. I mean, it's not, I don't have a problem with like the only thing that if honestly if mice didn't chew on shit and shit all over the place i would have no problem with the mouse being in this apartment i don't give a fuck i don't care like i think he's i thought the mouse was kind of cute i'm fine with the mouse being in here it's just mice mice will cause damage you know they'll chew holes and shit and they'll shit everywhere (laughs) and it's you know luckily they're not like dogs but it's still annoying and not entirely sanitary so obviously you have to get rid of him but I don't want to kill a fucking mouse. Like, what's the point? Like, that's just made, that would just make me kind of feel bad, you know? So here's my ingenious method. Ingenious for two reasons. Because one, it gets you a snack. And two, it's a way to, to, to catch a mouse. Are you saying you ate the mouse? No. No, I'm saying what you do is you go to your nearest grocery store and you purchase a bag of whatever your favorite snack food is, something like... For me, it was barbecue Lay's chips because it's summer and barbecue chips. I like barbecue chips. And then you go home and you eat the bag, almost all the bag, but you leave like the crumbs in the bottom. You put the bag on the floor next to a place where you sit a lot and you wait. Since those bags are made out of foil, as soon as the mouse gets inside the bag to go eat the crumbs, you will notice immediately because you'll just hear it. And then you just pick up the bag by the mouth and lift it up. Mouse cannot get out of the bag. You have caught the mouse and you go release the mouse somewhere you have to go kind of far away from your house because if you release the mouse near where you live the mouse will find it like will go back because mice are assholes like they mice just can't get you know the message like i don't fucking want you here man i don't want to kill you but you can't be here anymore they're too stupid to understand that so you have to kind of walk them far away and then i just let them out but then unfortunately yesterday and this may be this may be the same mouse like it may be one intrepid fucking mouse that really likes living here he, it's entirely possible that he came back but I, I really don't think it's the same mouse another mouse I, I noticed in my apartment two days ago or maybe there were two mice the whole fucking time and I didn't even know it's hard to tell because you, like, you only spot them like once a day usually so yeah I did not kill the mouse and there's my free mouse hunting tip for you so that's actually i think a really elegant solution you know there's a lot of i always hear about people you know having to catch mice and they go through these elaborate fucking steps that seems like a good yeah idea. it's not like a super proactive way to go about it but it's like like i said it gets you chips so it's a good excuse to eat something that's not entirely healthy so makes sense yep all right uh so what else have you been up to sean uh, we'll talk about this later, but I, I saw the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow. No, I just want to talk about that now. Yeah. We got oh, oh, we just want to talk about that now? We okay. don't need to do a full topic on this Yeah, or that's true. It's not, it's not um, a movie. But you saw a movie, movie. And, and I've yeah. seen that movie too, so whenever we both see a movie that's relatively new, I feel like we should touch on it. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned it when I saw it, but what did you think of Tom Cruise and Edge of Tomorrow? I thought it was a really, really fun, really well-made sci-fi action movie. Like, it's not obviously... 
It's not anything incredible, like super remarkable or anything like that. It's not like a complete masterpiece, but it's definitely a fun movie. I recommend seeing it or like getting it on, like renting it on a service or something like that. People don't go to fucking Blockbuster because Blockbuster doesn't really exist. But you know, like getting a digital, like iTunes version of it or something when it comes out there. Fun movie. Totally enjoyed it. Yes, and it is one of the movies this year that sadly did much poorer at the box office than it probably should, considering Transformers 4 made like all the money. So, we're just yeah. sad reflection on that for a second. But no, Edge of Tomorrow was good. I think, as I said at the time, I think it's just it's a fun, creative premise, and you know, not creative in the sense that oh my god, this is the most original idea I've ever seen. It is like many modern sci-fi movies, cobbled from ideas you've seen in other places. But yeah. it's done well. The execution is what matters. It's done very well. Tom Cruise, as always, he's, he's just a good movie star. Yeah, yeah, he's just a great. Action leading man. Yeah so. He's great in this And he's funny in this That's one of the things I like And that he's been Getting to do in movies lately Is just kind of light Fun Funny Tom Cruise Is the best Use of Tom Cruise Yeah I agree Yeah And he's, he's good in that But I think the real standout For me in this movie Was Emily Blunt As the female lead Yeah she was really good In part Full because bitch Yes Great nickname Great nickname She got fucking ripped For that movie Yeah Yeah yeah. Like, there's that whole scene where he, like, as they go through, you know, because of the premise, they, like, go through those same scenes multiple times mm-hmm. with different iterations. There's one where, like, Tom Cruise, when he first really meets her, like, walking in on her in that training room, and she's just lifting herself up by one arm, and it looks like she's going through some, like, Dragon Ball Z training <laughs> thing or something, like, training in a hundred times gravity. Yeah. Yeah. That, I could not lift myself up by one arm and just stay like that while someone's shooting a scene, you know? No. So Emily Blunt committed to her craft. Yeah. So good on her. No, it's a good movie. It's it's definitely I think more than anything it's it's got style, and I think a lot of you know there's a lot of kind of generic blockbusters out in the world. Yeah. This is not one of them. Doug Liman, who has definitely directed his fair share of kind of generic-ish blockbusters um, over time, um, this is I think the best thing he's ever done. Just it's got a good visual style. It's got a great pace. It moves well. It's it's one of the things you and I were talking about the other day, which is that like. I love that the first act of this movie, while it's getting into the premise, it has fun with it. Yeah. yeah. It gets serious near the end, but it, it's not it's not just dour from the beginning. They they allow they, they find the ways in which this would be fun and funny. There's a lot of really great laugh out loud moments. Yeah, yeah. As I've heard several people say, if you hate Tom Cruise, you'll love this movie because you see him die like a hundred yeah, times. Yeah, because that's the whole thing. Is It's basically like a video game where he dies and respawns and has to do it over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So, good movie. Um... Let's. It's. We're going to do some spoilery talk here. Sure. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the ending. Okay. I don't dislike the ending at all. I don't want to. Yeah. Some people I've I've seen have actual issue with it. It's just it's it makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, but it's like it's also it's exactly how I expected the movie to end. You yes. Know? So I wasn't surprised that it ended this way. But yeah, it doesn't make sense. So let's recap it. Okay. Tom Cruise. Everyone's dead. He gets into like the aliens water lair. Yeah. I love the visuals well, like in this the scene. Omega or whatever they call. Yeah. It. I love the visuals in this scene as he's kind of sinking down. He winds up blowing it up. He, he kind of uh, completes the mission. He blows yeah. up the Omega or whatever they call it. And then suddenly he's waking up again and we think, oh god, the cycle's restarted. Yeah. But instead it's he's waking up before any of this happened and he's back to his original life. Um, but the world is safe and at peace again. And he can go... And it's, I really like the way they ended it, where he goes yeah, to the meet... Last, the last shot. Yeah. yeah, he goes to meet Emily Blunt's character again and she doesn't recognize him and so he just kind of smiles and we cut to black. Yeah. Really good ending. Yeah, um, but it's interpret it, Sean. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it's just in the mechanics of the movie, it doesn't it doesn't make any fucking sense how 
This doesn't make any sense because it's like the whole thing is he gets the alien's power. But the alien's power is that when these certain aliens die, because it's like a hive mind thing. Because all aliens in movies are fucking hive mind things. When yeah. one of the aliens dies, it resets like a day or whatever before that alien died with the knowledge of what happened, kind of like a Groundhog Day thing, and is able to change it. And Tom Cruise gets that power, but he blows up the thing that enables that power, the Omega, because that's the thing that the aliens use. That's why he needs to blow it up, is because you can't beat something that can just reverse time. But So he blows that up, so it's dead, but then it reverses time, and it's dead in the time that it reversed itself too. Yeah, and I, the thing I kind of like about the ending is that it doesn't go in to try to explain the mechanics yeah. of that, so you just kind of have to wonder, is there, you know, something going on we just never knew about, and this is, you know, it, it doesn't follow the rules we knew beforehand, but maybe we didn't know all the rules, so I kind of like that mysterious angle to it, but then again, if you if you really want to try to figure out how it, it worked, you will, it's maddening. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's a, it was a movie that needed a happy ending, and there's, that's kind of the only way to give it a happy ending, you know, yeah. is to, to get your like last sort of like miracle time reversal and have yeah. everybody still live. He's like most of the other characters die, you know, in that last yeah. scene. So that would be a real bummer ending if the movie ended and it's like, eh, Tom Cruise is the only dude left. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> well, and he, he wouldn't be the only dude left because he blows himself up at the end. Yeah, no, so, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that would just be, it would be Bill Paxton or Pullman, whichever one it is in this yeah. movie, kind Bill of like. Billy P. Billy P. Billy P. Chewing the scenery and wondering what happened to all his soldiers. Yeah. Which would not be a good ending. Yeah, so it's fine. It would be too much of a bummer. I mean, honestly, if I have any problem with the movie, it's that the entire third act feels a little rote to me. Like, once he sure, loses yeah. the time power, the movie kind of loses something with that. And I don't yeah. know what the solution is there, because they have to wrap things up somehow. And this was a good way to wrap things up, where they go to the Louvre yeah. and there's all that. But it's it's much more direct and less interesting. Yeah, it than... feels like the movie had been so creative up to that point that then when they get to the end, they realize, well, we kind of... They couldn't find a way to break out of sort of a very standard Hollywood third act for a movie. So the third act is just entirely predictable. Like, if you watched the, like, the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, and then you paused it and thought, like, what would be the most generic way to end this movie? That's basically exactly how they ended it. Yeah. And with, you know, good style and good acting. Yeah, it's still well executed, but, but, like, generic isn't necessarily, like, bad. It's not awful, but it's just, like... It's not as good as the, a lot of the stuff that came before it because it's not as creative. But. Yeah, I just I just wanted to, yeah, mention that because yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. It's an interesting issue, but yeah. So, anything else to say about that movie? No, I'll go see it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think Tom Cruise has been on a real roll these last couple of years where every year he's put out an action and or sci-fi movie that I'm like, you know, that's not one of my favorite movies ever or anything, but yeah. that's a really good, yeah. it's like solid B plus, A minus. Yeah, I'm really glad I watched it. Like, yeah. I had a lot of fun watching the movie. Yeah, I think between Mission Impossible 4 and Jack Reacher and Oblivion and this, those are all absolutely movies worth seeing. And I thought Oblivion was even a step up from this, but... Not a lot of people saw that either, except in the rest of the world where it was a hit. So, I think Edge of Tomorrow is having similar stuff, where it's like the Pacific Rim issue, where it didn't make money here, but it's making money everywhere else, so... Interesting. But, definitely good. Definitely also, it's it's a summer action movie that is not doing any kind of sequel bait. Yeah. Yeah, that would be... I don't even know how you could possibly make a sequel, so... Right, but... Hollywood would try in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's so, if it made a lot of money, Hollywood would find a fucking way. Yeah, and I just think it's... You don't often get, I feel like, an original, you know, sci-fi or action movie 
during the summer months that isn't trying to set up a franchise. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, and that's the other thing I like about a lot of the recent Jack, uh, uh, Tom Cruise movies. Definitely, you know, I think Jack Reacher was trying, but it wasn't trying so hard that it, you know, at the expense of the movie Yeah, it didn't, itself. like, pin all its hopes on no. making a franchise. Yeah, it's, it's a movie, and if it's a good, you know, standalone thing, and if there was more, that'd be great, but if not... And Mission Impossible 4 was just... That's always been the philosophy on the Mission Impossible movies, is we just make the movie, and yeah, then if we want to make more... this one is the last one, this yeah. one could just be the last one. Right. And... So yeah, so all very interesting. But that's Edge of Tomorrow. It's good, you know. Uh, there are so many options for good movies you can see right now. If you don't want to see Transformers Four, I and feel you like you should not want to see Transformers Four. Let's talk about this a little bit. Okay, I wanted to. I have it on my outline. Transformers, spelled with a four in the middle. Jonathan, that's not an outline. Don't call that that scribble an outline. I've got something to show you on this later. But okay. I, I made a funny mistake on this outline. Anyway. Your, your um, outline itself is just a funny mistake. Okay. Usually I type up my outlines and they're fairly neat and on my computer this time I scribbled it in my notebook during class. Yes. So it doesn't look great. But anyway. Um, yeah. So this, there's this new Transformers movie out. It's seven hours long. Yeah. Everybody, everybody hates it. I haven't yeah. heard a good thing about it from anybody. Yeah. Even, I've heard mildly, you know, solid praise from people who maybe have liked the other ones but even then it's like yeah, but it's also like 90 minutes too long. Yeah, like everyone, even like the people who are like, yeah, what, like, you know, because it's like there are lots of people and there's nothing wrong with this who are like, they're not going to dislike a movie. Like, no matter what it is, they'll just be like, yeah, it was a movie. And, but even they will just be like, but it was, yeah, it was, it was like an hour too long. Yeah. And so anyway, this is the first Transformers movie I have not gone out to see. Um, this is the second. I, yeah, I don't. I've got and one more point. On you. And honestly, it's the length more than anything else that's keeping me back. And I heard about the statutory rape joke in the movie, and I just... <laughs> did you hear about this? No, I didn't hear Okay, there's that. this... <laughs> there's this... I'm not, again, I was just was so not expecting you to say that. I have... This was the sta- like the nail in the coffin of why I'm not going to see this movie. Is I heard about this joke in the movie. It's a run... It's one of those Michael Bay running gags. Where so it's it's Mark Wahlberg's the main character and he's got his daughter who's seventeen and the other main character is her boyfriend who's twenty one or yeah, something okay. like that. There's some age gap that would be considered in the United States statutory rape. Yes, in most but, states. Yes, but this because they live in Texas, this dude has found a loophole by which it is not statutory rape. Like I said, most states. So every time somebody points out to this dude that you're raping this dude's daughter, he plays laminated the law. And he pulls out of his wallet and shows them the law in the Texas legislature that he has laminated why it's not statutory rape. And apparently this is a running gag in the movie, Transformers 4. Hmm. So that's why I'm not seeing this because, you know... I'm I'm not seeing this because I saw Transformers (laughs) 2. Okay. And then I also heard that Grimlock is only in like the last ten minutes or something. Right. And he doesn't say me Grimlock. Yeah. Me Grimlock. So, yeah, like if you... Because it's like, I probably saw all the footage of Grimlock in the movie just by having, like, been, unfortunately, exposed to the trailer. Yes, so, anyway, here's what I want to say about Transformers 4, is that even though everyone hates it, and most everyone doesn't like this movie series, yeah, it's the first movie this year to break 100 million opening weekend, did better than yeah. movies like Captain America 2, Godzilla, X-Men Days of Future Past, all of these movies, what they have in common is that they're very good. Yes. Um, Transformers... For I you know I can't speak because I haven't seen it, but probably not good, and yeah. it's made more. It's making a shit ton overseas. It's doing even better overseas than it is here. It's probably going to be the first movie this year to reach a billion at the worldwide box office, and yet 
Here's what you can go see in theaters right now. If you yes. want to go see a movie in theaters, at you this can moment. see at this moment. You could go see Godzilla. Godzilla. You, you could see X Men Days of Future Past. X Men Days of Future Past. You say Twenty Two Jump Street. Twenty Two Jump Street. You could see Neighbors. Neighbors. You could see How to Train Your Dragon Two. How to Train Your Dragon Two. Which might be a masterpiece. I love that movie, but still is not an appropriate title for a movie. I'll talk to you about that later. Okay. You could see... Also, I want to point out Transformers 4, Age of Extinction. I haven't seen the movie. I bet it is not set during an Age of Extinction. I'm willing to bet you neither Transformers nor humans go extinct in that movie. Okay. So that's probably a bullshit title, too. To yes. Be fair. You could see Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. The new Korean film that's in English, so you don't even have to fucking read subtitles if you're that goddamn lazy. You can see that. It's got Chris... It's got Captain America in it, and John Hurt, and Tilda Swinton... It's got a bunch of great people. It's a phenomenal sci-fi movie. Also probably a masterpiece. There's the mouse. You could see Snowpiercer. Yeah. I'm probably forgetting some. I can't some. say all, the, all that that you just said. I can't okay. say that in my trailer voice. So. That's fine. Snowpiercer. All of these are movies that have made less than Transformers that you could be seeing that you would all enjoy more. So, what the fuck are you doing? That's my question, America. I don't know. What the fuck are you doing? I don't know. And they didn't even... It's a fucking Transformers movie. It is the fourth... Transformers movie, a series that was originally created in the 80s to sell toys to children. Transformers. It is a, the fourth Transformers movie, and they did not put four in the title Transformers. How? How did you fuck that up, right? Like, you had, this is your one shot. There's probably never going to be another Transformers 4. How did you fuck that up? Like, that's a disservice to the human species, right? This terrifies... Because you had the one chance! One chance! How the fuck do you fuck that up? Ditto everything he said, but also, Sean, you just said something there that was a scary thought to me. Yeah. There might never be another Transformers 4. What if there is? What if they reboot this series and they're just as bad and they get back up to Transformers 4? But what if when they do, they title it Transformers... I will, I will go, I, I might not watch it, but I'll pay for a ticket just to show my appreciation. Like, I wouldn't go that far, but I would be, I would be a happier man than I was before there was a movie titled Transformers in the World. I know. know. Yep, that's how I've been referring to it on Twitter and everything, so it's, that's too bad. The good thing is, someone at Wikipedia realized this, because if you type trans number four MERS into Wikipedia, it'll take you to the page for Age for Extinction. The guy's doing God's work. Yeah. God's work. Alright, so let's move on, Sean. Okay. Okay, we're going to do some... Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to run down this kind of shitty outline I have. It's a mix of news stories we want to talk about, just kind of general stuff things, mini topics, those sorts of stuff, right? Yeah. Alright, so first thing I want to talk about here is... We should just say this up top because it's we. this came out while, during our break, and we need to mention it so people know we're on top of this. Doctor Who is returning August 23rd. Yes. And it sounds like it's a feature-length episode they're coming back with. Yes. So, pretty great. Yep. Yep. They've had some teasers where you just see Peter Capaldi's eye. So, the Doctor will have eyes in the new series. That yeah, I mean, we, we, we knew that in the 50th anniversary special, so... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Doctor Who is returning, but here's the real story here. Sean, look at how I wrote Doctor Who Return. I, every time I glance at this, what I see is the word Dr. Whore Turn. Because <laughs> I, wrote, I yeah, wrote... you didn't really put much of a space there, did you? No. So I kept glancing at it, like, why am I writing... What, what's Dr. Whore Turn? Oh, Dr. Who Return. And that's, Jonathan, is why you should type up your... Outlines. Your outline. Or you should write things in pencil so when you make a dumb mistake like that, you can erase it and then rewrite it correctly. <laughs> I don't know. I... Is there going to be an episode of Doctor Who Series 8 called Doctor Horror Turn? No. Okay. 
Not only that, there has not been, and there never will be, an episode of Doctor Who titled Doctor Horturn. I can <laughs> fucking guarantee that. All right. Well, we're just excited because August twenty third, we will have a weekly topic for this show. Yes. And uh, more than anything, I'm just, I just, I want to see this new series. Yep. It sounds exciting. Neil Gaiman not writing an episode for it, sadly. Unfortunately, but, but other good writers. Yeah. And then Mark Gatiss, and I'll just maybe skip those weeks. But uh, whatever. We'll... <laughs> you know, he might turn out something good. You don't know. Yes. It's... I mean, he did write the Crimson Horror one, but... <laughs> well, the th- here's the thing about Mark Gatiss and Doctor Who is that the Crimson Horror is probably the worst episode he's ever written, but yeah. it's also the most interesting of all of them. It That's is... a word to use, yeah. yeah. Interesting does not imply quality. Yeah, okay, yeah. It is, it is the most interesting. I think it is in some ways the most entertaining, albeit in uh, the wrong way. Yeah. Because sure. every episode he's... Every 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 other episode he's written is like the Cold War one or something where you just yeah, fall just asleep kind of watching boring. it. Yeah. yeah. So he did not write the pirate one, but that feels like a Marcatus episode. It's kind of is, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see. But in any case, that's Doctor Who returning August twenty third. That's Doctor Horturn. Exciting. Now, Doctor Horturn. Let's move on, Sean. Um, while we were gone during yes. those two weeks, uh, the Steam Summer Sale happened. Yes, it did the SSS. Yes. Did you buy anything on the Steam Summer Sale? No. I bought three games. Okay. What did, what did you buy? I bought uh, FTL, Faster Than Light, because I've always wanted good, to play good that. Good game. I have not had time to play it yet. Okay. It's, like, it's, it's a good game. Like most games I buy on the Steam sale, yeah. it sits unplayed. Fair enough. There, um, are, there, are, there are some games I've bought on Steam sales I still have not even yeah. really opened. So I think FTL was like two thirty nine. It was super cheap. Yeah. Uh, then I got I got Bastion, because I've just... Also a good game. Yeah, I've just... I, I haven't... I've heard some people love it, some people don't love it as much. Yeah, like, I'm not but, a huge Bastion fan, but I recognize yeah. that as a good game. Like, the combat just wasn't for me. Right. Um, but it was only, like, it was even less than that. It was, like, one ninety nine at the time I got it, so I think... It's one of those things with the Steam Yeah, I got, actually, I got Bastion on the Steam sale, like, yeah. two years ago, I think. Yeah. So. I just figured, why not? Uh, especially because I want to play that Transistor game yeah, on the PS4, yeah, and it sounds like that's kind of the spiritual sequel. So I got that, and then I got uh, Real Mist Masterpiece Edition. Because I, I know I, what that is. I've, yeah, I've, I cannot speak to anything okay. about Mist. Yeah, Mist is a weird series for me because it's it's Jonathan. Mist is a weird series. That's the sentence you just need to say. You don't need to no, add is. any qualifiers to that. Mist is definitely a weird series. Yeah. I have very fond memories of it because these were the games when I was a kid. My dad played on his PC and he loved the Mist series. And he played uh, all of them up through four. And my brother and I would just sit there and watch him play them. So I have never played the Mist games, but I've watched them be played. So I just have fond memories of that. And this version, it's of the original Mist game, but it's redone with uh, real time 3D graphics. Yeah. And then this is like a remake of that version with better 3D graphics and it's, just, it's a cool version I've kind of uh, played around in it a little bit it's just I kind of got it for nostalgia it was the most expensive game I got I think it was 7 bucks huh. but in total I made it out of the Steam sale having spent under $15 so I feel good about that but the real question with Steam is that the Steam sale this year and I wanted this to go into a little kind of a mini topic here sure. is that um, we had the Steam summer sale there was not a lot of hype around it discussion around it it, it feels like every year the Steam sale happens or bi- it's biannual, I guess. Every time it happens, there's a little less discussion around it. And this time felt like there was just... I kept forgetting it was even going on. Yeah, I completely forgot about it about one day in. Yeah. So so I th- there are a bunch of reasons why this might be happening. But what what do you think is the main one or some of the main ones? Well, I think I think the primary one is that the, the Steam sales, by their very nature, are a diminishing return. Because you have this limited number of games, obviously, that you can put on sale. And... A huge number of those games are the games you have in your backlog, like all the old shit 
like half of which does not really work because Steam doesn't really try to like update games for to work on modern PCs. But whatever, there is this huge backlog of PC games that are available on the Steam service. But the number of games that new games that get put on the service is you know obviously is limited. It's not like and like a billion games not come out every year, so you can't have your Steam sale be full of like new games that came out over the years since the last Steam sale. So you have to keep on digging into this backlog. And then even then, of the new games that do come out, like, only a fraction of them are the publishers actually want to put on sale, you know? So the end result is that for someone like me, I basically bought every game I really want on Steam, on the Steam sale. And since I don't really buy a lot of new PC games, I don't really have a lot of motivation to engage with the Steam sale until maybe, like, two or three years where, like, new games are old games now, and they can be on sale for really cheap, and then maybe I can get interested again. It's like, wait, like you said, like, the two games that you bought are games that I am interested in and I really enjoy are both games that I have bought on previous Steam sales, and I don't give a shit about Myst, so I wasn't going to buy real Myst. But, like, I, every time I glanced at the games that were on sale, I was like, okay, yeah, I've seen that game be on sale five different times now. And if I had wanted it before, I would have got it before. So the, this, while the Steam sales are really nice, they're almost so big that they're kind of self-devouring. That they can't, they can't keep up with the, the pace that they set earlier. And, so, and I think it's telling yeah. that as a fairly casual Steam user, which I am, cause in part because I use a Mac, so there's a yeah. very limited number of games I can play. Even though most of the, the you know, big, at least indie Steam games, you can play on all platforms. Um, a lot of the games that were the, feel, the sales that I felt like people were talking about a lot this year were games I already have, so mm-hmm. or was buying on this sale. So, for instance, Real Mist was like this was its first time in the Steam sale, yeah. and I felt like I heard about a lot of people getting that because it was on a good. It's usually a twenty buck game. It was seven, seven or eight bucks. Yeah. So people were talking about that, um, but that was its real first go round with this kind of sale. Um, but then there was a lot of you know it was Papers Please, Gone Home, and Stanley Parable all were down to like one or two dollars at a certain point. Which is good, but like you know those are games, those are all games I already purchased when they came out new. Exactly, and I already played, I, I didn't buy any of those on Steam sales, I just got them around the time they came out. I think yeah. I got Papers, Please on the winter Steam sale, maybe. I got but, all three of those games the day they came out. Okay. I probably, maybe, I mean, I enjoyed those games so much, but they are they are good Steam sale games, but they are right. also games that are so good, pra- think, the press was so good around them, that I felt so, like, motivated to get them yeah. Because I wanted to be part of that conversation, you know? Exactly, and I think there probably were plenty of people who hadn't gotten them yet, and this was the time when they were catching up on it, but that's the end of their cash, I feel like. The next time uh, Steam Sale comes around, they'll be on sale again, but will anyone be interested this time? And, and I just, like, this thought occurred to me, is, like, the perfect game to put on a Steam Sale, or also for, like, a service like PlayStation Plus, is, like, Edge of Tomorrow, the movie, but, like, the video game version. of Just, like, it is a good game, but it's not a game that is so amazing that everybody already bought it, but it's a game that was kind of overlooked when it came out, that is really solid, That so when it comes out, everyone picks it up, and like everyone was like, this is always a, this is a game I heard about, I know a dude who played it, and he thought it was really good, but like, I don't know, like I never, like there was enough conversation around it that I really had to pick it up, but now I can play it for free, or for really cheap, and feel really good about it. Like, that's the kind of, like, that's the perfect game, you know, to put on a sale like that. Yeah, and I, I just don't think there really were any of those this year. Yeah. So that's one reason. The other thing, and, and you and I have been talking about this on and off the air for a while now, is just, is is Steam itself becoming just kind of an unbearable monstrosity? I think so. I've kind of stopped using Steam almost at all over yeah. the past couple of months. Why, Sean? 
Uh, it's like there's a huge problem. Like there's a really like long ongoing discussion online from a bunch of like different game journalists about this, and there's just Steam has implemented all these different systems and and like different weird sections of their stores and stuff. That's just kind of killing Steam in weird ways and all their policies. So there's stuff like you have Steam Greenlight, which is supposed to be a way for indie developers to get their games onto Steam. That system has always just seemed broken, and I don't. I have no fucking clue how green how Steam Greenlight's supposed to work. And there are a bunch of games on there that seems like this is a game that should make its way onto Steam. And then there are a bunch of games on there that's like there's no fucking way that this game should be on Steam, and yet somehow it makes it on there. Like, there was one that I heard about a while ago that it was, like, I think it was basically a porn game that had, like, a non-explicit version of it made called, I think, Bone Town that got put on Greenlight. And I think it got cleared. I'm not entirely sure. It might not have been cleared. But at least got put on Greenlight. That should not have been put on Greenlight. But then, but the other weird thing about Steam's policy is that if you want to, if you're an indie developer and you want to get your game on Steam, that's basically the road you have to go down. But if you have a publisher that already has like a certain like pre-made deal with Valve and Steam, they can just put whatever the fuck they want on Steam. And so there's absolutely, as long as you are a publisher, there's no degree of quality control whatsoever. So ridiculous games that are completely broken, like even if they're new, I think Guys of the Wolf, I think was, that either Guys of the Wolf or Mark of the Wolf, there's a game that recently came out, I saw a video of that was like, this this game is just non-functional, like the main character clips through half of the environment, it is just, it is a, this is an alpha of a game, and it is a bad alpha of a game, and somehow it's on Steam just because the publisher can put it on Steam, and there are a bunch of examples of that shit, that like there was another, I think called Air Control, that came out like, two or three weeks ago, also, just completely broken, utterly non-functional game that was just, how the fuck does this make it on here, then even the other shit, where mobile, like, really awful mobile ports just get dumped by, like, the hundreds onto Steam, and every new game that is released on Steam, or every game that is released on Steam for the first time, gets automatically put on the front page on a new release section, so it pushes other, like, I would call more legitimate products off the Steam page by, like, you just dumping, like, here's all these shitty iPhone games that we are going to charge, like, 10 bucks for, even though it's 99 cents on the iPhone, and we barely did anything to port it to the PC, and we're just going to dump it here. And then, also, a bunch of old PC publishers are putting out all their old titles, like, basically re-releasing them almost as if they are new games, even though... They'll release a game that came out actually in like 1999, but if a game is released on Steam, on the Steam page, it will say that its release date is when it was put on Steam. So you'll have this game clearly made in the late 90s that is being passed off as a game made in 2014 and is getting, again, put on the new release store next to the like whatever fucking new PC game is actually coming out today that is a legitimate title. And so all of that stuff... And then, again, there's the fucking early access program. So you're having games... Since the early access games are not sectioned off anywhere, the early access program, for those who don't know, is it's kind of almost like this weird Steam Kickstarter thing where you can put up a game build that is in progress, so like your alpha of a game, onto Steam. People can buy it, and the, the assumption is that you're, you're buying into the game, and then you as the, the developer makes the game... 
they're going to use the money they get from the early access program to help them develop the game. And as the game is updated, you get those updates for free. And then hopefully, because there's no assurance, hopefully the game will be actually finished and it will be what you what they promised it would be by the time it's done. Like the early access program is so new that we haven't yet seen anything like really come from it you know and it's this weird thing where games are just not finished anymore on steam so the early access games are not sectioned off at all so if you are looking at the front page of steam on the new releases you can click on a game that this is like the 0.01 alpha of this game and they're like the best some of the best selling games on steam like the forest like you go to the best sellers list and it's on there because it got a lot of traction the game's not even fucking done. The game's not even close to being done. The game is like two years at least away from being a version 1.0. If they will ever even make it that way. Because it's entirely possible that the developer will just run out of money and kind of give up on it. Or take the money that they did get and just fucking run. And there would be no legal consequences for doing so because you bought an unfinished product. It's, I think it's an awful... Like all these things are things that Steam has been doing for a couple of months now. But it's been ramping up. So much so that I find the service almost unusable. That it's like every time there's like I go to the, the Steam homepage and I go to the new releases section, half of it is mobile ports. Like the other forty percent are old games that old really shitty games that got re-released as if they are new games. And then the last ten percent are games that aren't even done. And I don't want to fucking buy a game that isn't finished, you know, because I'm not a lunatic. It's you all. You have to find a balance between this ideal of publisher and developer freedom yeah. and the actual stability of the platform. Yeah. And I think a lot. There's there's so much. There's so often this kind of pushback where it's like, no, the the publisher and developer needs freedom. We should have self publishing. All this kind of stuff. And that's great in theory, but there have to be checks and balances. Yeah. There has to be a degree of quality control for Steam. Like you yeah. can't. Because there are, because I, because I feel like there are a lot of people who make the argument about no, like why should Valve be able to decide what goes on their store? Like making this weird free market argument with these people forgetting that Steam is not the only fucking place you can buy PC games, dude. It's the most popular, yes, but there's this whole service called Desura that exists entirely for the purpose of people putting buggy shit onto that service that's just dumb and awful. But if you're really into that, guess what? You can go to Desura and play those fucking games and, like, 99% of them are total shit. Like, that's an option you have. Like, the PC market... Yes, that needs to be a free market, but the Steam store doesn't. The Steam store should be a quality-controlled store. Just like you don't go to Best Buy and expect to, like, go pick up a game, and then you open the fucking case and, like, the disc is broken. Like, that's basically what you're buying if you're buying a game like Guys of the Wolf that is just completely non-functional and crashes, like, 90% of the time you load up the game. Like, it's just... It's a broken fucking product. Stores don't sell broken products. If they do... That as soon as they find out about it, they give the, the customer a refund and they fucking throw the product out. Yes. You know? They don't... Like, King Supers does not sell you moldy bananas. You know? <laughs> like, it's fucking nonsense. And since, you know, digital stores don't have these restrictions that make that kind of stuff for the brick-and-mortar stores easier, that they have limited, you know, physical, actual space to put products. And so, like, quality control is a necessity for those stores... Because they need to put the best products out because they can only put out so many products. Digital stores don't have that, but they need to have something that reflects a benefit that that has of that, like, only the good shit comes out. Or at least only the functional shit comes out. Not, 
this nonsense that gets put up on Steam constantly. Absolutely, and I mean, you think about you know right now with with the PlayStation Four and Sony's commitment to indie developers. Part of why people have been loving it so much is that the stuff Sony has chosen to put on their platforms for indie developers and the stuff they've chosen to promote are really good or really yeah, exactly. interesting games. And that like, and even though it's not you know no digital storefront is perfect. When I go to the PSN store, I feel like when I see the games that are advertised at the top, I feel confident that it's like, I'm definitely confident that it's, if I buy that game, it will be functional, that it will run. Like, luckily, you know, it's a PS4, so it's like... This is such a, a low PC, bar we're setting here. You don't have a PC issue of like, you know, there are legitimately good games that sometimes, you know, are just not going to run because your PC's fucking weird. So that's always a concern with PC gaming. With PS4, it's like, you know the game's gonna fucking run. You know that it's not going to just like cheat you out of your money... It might not be a good game, but at least it's a, it'll be a game like that has gotten enough accolades to reach it to this spot where it is on the front page of the fucking PS4 store, you know? I mean, just imagine if like you went to the movie theater, and for some reason... Let's just use Transformers because we just we can. Sure. Michael Bay wanted to crowdfund Transformers, so you have, you have early access Transformers yeah. Four, where two years ago you would go, you'd pay your ten dollars for the ticket, and you would see the storyboards of the movie. <laughs> yeah. With like Michael Bay doing all the voices, but and, and then it's like, and they're like, if you come back here one year later, now you will get like. The rough cut. Yeah, this no... rough cut with no effects, like no, none of the sound is really put in yet. There's no music, no robots. Yeah, obviously all... no robots. So it's like half of it is just like a b- black screen that says effect goes here, and the other half of it is Mar- Mark Wahlberg on a green screen, and you can't really understand what he's saying because they haven't finished post processing on the audio. Yes, that's but... basically exactly what it would be. And you paid for it. Yeah, you paid for it with the promise, and then. Then just say that eventually Michael Bay is like, because this happens to projects that even finish, like principal photography, the studio pulls the plug because the budget got out of control. And, and so, well, fuck, I never actually get to see the finished version of the movie, which, again, is something that can totally happen on early access. And I don't feel like the public is well-informed enough about that system because, again, Steam does, like, nothing to make it clear that this is really early access. Again, it is on the fucking Steam page. It is not some weird side thing like it should be. It Like, the, the number one seller on Steam should never be an early access game. That fucking should not happen. That is like, well, you, know, it's, you should have no confidence that this game, The Forest, is ever actually going to be released or, like, DayZ is ever going to get, like, a full version 1.0 because it probably won't. Yeah, I mean... Well, I don't remember what the stat is, but a majority of Kickstarter projects that have been funded in the last couple of years are not finished. Yeah, because... And many of them likely will never be, because they already have the money. Kickstarter yeah. is a really... And, and crowdfunding and all of this, I feel like it is a really morally and ethically nebulous gray area. Yeah. especially because I feel like it's it, you're exposing the public to something that they're not trained to be exposed to. That's like, I'm definitely not trained to be exposed to, which is why I don't deal with it. Of like... You're, I'm not an investor. Like, I am not this company that gives money to other companies to finish their product, project with, like, an, expect, an expectation of return. And then there being legal consequences if that, pub, if that, that product never gets created. You know, like, they are, like, the traditional system is not necessarily perfect, but it has these checks and balances in place that Kickstarter just doesn't. And the public is not knowledgeable enough that, like, they, that they know... That if you give money to this project, that project might never get made because there are so many video games that have been in development that just get scrapped before you ever hear about it. Because that's the way fucking making shit works. The movies sometimes 
you know, how many movies do you hear about that? It's like, yeah, they're going to make that movie, and then it gets put into fucking production hell, and it never actually comes out. Like, that happens all the time. There's, like, five different versions of Watchmen that were going to be made before Watchmen actually got made. Like, what if you paid your early access ticket on, like, the Terry Gilliam Watchmen? Like, well, you're shit out of fucking luck, man. Exactly, and I think the biggest problem here is that, and this is what, you know, Kickstarter and early access people don't tell you, is that we have a word for people who put money into things while they're in production. They're called producers and investors. Exactly. And those people in the actual official capacities where that is what they are, they have a power over the product. Yeah. Where if they say, look, I'm spending my money on this thing. I don't like what you're doing. I can order you to change things. I can pull my funding, that sort of thing. Um, you know, if yeah. you are a Kickstarter funder, an early access funder, a crowd funder does not have that ability yeah, have or no right. Power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the big... This is the one where where I really kind of started really thinking crowdfunding was very a nebulous kind of creepy thing was when they did the big Veronica Mars Kickstarter. Yeah. Where WB was like, we can't pay for this $2 million movie. Can you guys pay for it? We just... We're WB. We're poor and we don't have the money. Yeah. We're so, not the company that, you know, like owns like fucking everything. Yeah. Like, we're not the company that owns DC. Yeah. We're the company that put out, like, The Dark Knight that made, like, fucking two to God knows how much money. We're not money. the company who made eight Harry Potter movies yeah. and made about $10 million on those. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and nobody talks about the Veronica Marsney thing, thing now because it came out and it was good and everybody liked it and was happy with it. But what if you hadn't been? What yeah. if the movie had been Veronica Mars comes in and kills all her friends? You know? <laughs> you would have felt I, pretty I've never off. seen any Veronica Mars thing. Yeah, I, I haven't really either. Been interested in it? I would totally go see a movie where Kristen <laughs> Bell just goes in and kills a bunch of characters. I have no idea who they are. I would crowdfund that movie. <laughs> but the thing is, if you're a Veronica Mars fan, you probably don't want yeah. that. And what if and I was, you know, what if I put my money into the Veronica Mars Kickstarter, expecting that to be the movie I got, and then they actually make this like loving tribute to the fans? That's like a decent movie with like <laughs> bringing back the characters you all know and love from the show. Like, well, I'm shit out of luck. Like, what? What, where's my rights, you know, as a fucking consumer? That's what I want to know. It's it's a very nebulous thing. I want to see Kristen Bell kill yeah. everyone in that in right. show. But the difference is that the movie industry is not being consumed by this, and the PC game industry, because of Steam, it's, kind of it's, is. It completely is. Like I said, like it feels like every fucking game is on early access. Like, I hear all these games that is like, here's this game you can buy, and it's like... Yeah, okay, let's look at the Steam page. This game is version point zero 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 two point one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay money for that. Like why the fuck would I pay money for that? Let me put this in terms I think everyone can understand. Everyone's really, you know, waiting for George R. R. Martin to finish the next Game of Thrones book. Yeah. What if he said so the next book's called Winds of Winter? He said, yeah. I'm I'm sorry, I'm poor, I spent all my Game of Thrones money gambling or something. I am not implying George R. R. Martin gambles, I'm sure he's a yeah. good dude. But what if he did? Just, just imagine. Well, let's just you know it's like I spent all of my money on hookers and cocaine. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's what George R. R. Martin does, but it's to say if he did. Okay. If he did that, he's like, I have to have money to finish the Winds of Winter, so here's the thing. You will get I you pay me forty dollars for the hardcover book and you get my outlines <laughs> yeah you get my outlines and then as i write the book like you get unedited chapters as they release which is like from a certain perspective i can see it's like if you're someone who's really like super interested in the thing like you do get this interesting almost like historical perspective on it of like hey we get like the game as it's being made but if you're just someone who wants to read the fucking book you've just paid money for a product that you don't actually want to engage with in Till like two years from now, if again the book ever gets made, because 
George R. R. Martin, I'm not saying he would do this, but he might <laughs> run away and just spend all that money on hookers and cocaine. He might. It's, and you know what? He he would have earned it by now. Yeah, and, and he would not have, there would be no legal repercussions. I mean, okay, there would be legal repercussions <laughs> for buying cocaine and the hookers, depending on where George R. R. Martin lives, I don't know. He but there'd be no re- legal percussion for taking your money and doing that. I think he, I think he lives in Albuquerque? I have no so idea. he's close Maybe. to he's close to Las Vegas. Yeah. is all I'm saying. Well, you can't actually you can't buy prostitutes in Las Vegas. You have to go outside the county to do that. But. Okay, I'm glad you know all this stuff. <laughs> I don't know why the fuck I know that, but that's definitely the case. Okay, so this is just why it's weird, you know. Yeah, and then it's, it's also something where I feel like the early access program sort of. It's just a weird thing where I feel like that perspective is not necessarily something where the average consumer should have with a work of art, you know, of just like, yeah, the product should, the the work should be the work when it's finished and that's when it should be exposed to the public. And I don't want to have this perspective with like, you know, like for something like Minecraft, this is fine because that's kind of what the game is. Minecraft was such a different case. Yeah, but like say, like the next Mass Effect game or something like Mass Effect, like the next Final Fantasy came out on Early Access, like, that would ruin the game for you if you bought it and played it as it was being made because you're experiencing... It's something where it's like the full story and that kind of thing is such a part of the game. Or like Gone Home. Like, imagine if you played Gone Home and it's like fucking like really early alpha with like none of the textures being done and stuff like that. By the time they actually... And you played it as those updates came out, by the time the actual game came out, the entire thing would have been ruined for you because you would not know what the experience would be like. You'd almost look at it the way the people who made it would, where it's like... The emotional impact would not be there. You'd see it as it was being created, and you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. In the final game, this room is here. It's like, that room was over there before. But you don't actually see... It's like, oh, here's the story being told here because you've seen bits and pieces of it over the course of the development... And the whole thing is ruined. Like, it's yeah. it's a shitty way to experience a work of art, in my opinion. I agree. And so we spent a lot of time talking about this issue, but it's it's ultimately only one symptom of why Steam is kind of falling apart at the seams. Sure. And then on top of that, you have the Steam Machine stuff, which is just, I don't even know what the status of that is anymore. Oh, no. I know they, they kind of scrapped their controller prototype they had and kind of, like, went back to the drawing board, I think, with it. And we have, I think, a couple of early Steam Machines coming out this year, but they're not really what was promised. They're just gaming PCs for your living room. Yeah. But without Steam OS and all that, because that hasn't officially launched yeah. and everything. Because that's in so, early access. Yes, that's in early <laughs> access. So it's just, that's weird. And then I think, you and I were talking about this today, where you said something about Portal 2, and it made me think, hey, has... Valve released a game since Portal 2? They have, but it's not major, major stuff that's like cross... Yeah, because they've made... And I might be forgetting something, but I'm pretty sure the, after Portal 2, the next game they made was Counter-Strike uh, Geo. And then after that was Dota 2. Although Dota 2 is also one of those games which was always in this weird, like, beta... But, like, everybody could get into the beta, and then it was an open beta. And then Valve was just like, one day, eh, fuck it, the game's out. And it's a free-to-play game, and it's, you know, it's one of these, like, MOBA, like, weird... I don't I don't fucking play them because I'm not interested. But these sort of, like, competitive esports games, that's irrelevant because right now the Dota 2 International, like, big tournament is going on. But it's sort of this weird thing where Valve has, clearly with its last few games, and especially if you look at that they've, like, continually made substantial updates to Team Fortress 2, and my opinion, kind of ruining Team Fortress 2, like, the simplicity of Team Fortress 2 just like went out the window when you have all these like fucking hats and different unlockable guns and stuff it kind of made me lose interest in the purity of the 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 core game 
but all these updates they are making to their free-to-play games that you can only buy on their service and only play on their service, like Team Fortress 2 and Dota 2, and all the weird monetization stuff they put in that, like, I don't understand most of it because I don't play Dota 2, but, like, there's this weird fucking compendium thing, and you, like, buy this compendium on Dota 2, and, like, 75% of it goes to the prize pool for this tournament that's going on, then, like, 25% of it just goes right into Valve's pocket. There's, like, they have all these crazy monetization methods for their free-to-play games, and it all feels like it's ways to get you to get onto Steam and you know, because the only way you can play Team Fortress 2 or Dota 2 is on Steam, and they are hugely popular multiplayer games that, like, if your friend wants to play the game with you, they're like, hey, get on Steam and play Dota 2 with me, and they're like, okay, fuck it, and then they buy, they, they download Steam, they can play Dota 2 for free, and then they will go and see, oh, the Steam sale is on, I'm going to buy all these fucking games, and it's just, I feel like Valve has turned into this company that has just made this giant kind of really creepy monopolized wheel mill of money with their Steam service to the point where people are calling for Steam to be a free market. Again, even though Steam is a store page, it's not a marketplace. The PC game thing is the marketplace, but they have such a huge monopoly and they have managed to make that monopoly so powerful that people think of Steam as being the only place to to buy PC games, you know? It's creepy. Yes. And, and, yeah. and again, in the middle of this, Valve, what we would all like from Valve probably are real games to come out yeah. from them. But obviously, actual video game development and creativity is a lot less profitable than what they're doing right now. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they're working on Portal 3 and Half-Life 3 and Left 4 Dead 3 and all of the 3s. But even if they are, I wonder, it's not a priority, I imagine. Yeah, probably not. They're probably going to like buy the, the developer that made that iOS game 3s and just... Come, like put that out like a free to play version on Steam just called Threes yes to well, piss everyone off and it'll have like skins that are like you can play the Half-Life 3 yeah 3 you can put hats on the little like numbers yeah. yeah it's it's just so weird who knows but let's move on Sean okay let's talk some other pieces of video game news okay other pieces of video game news alright in the last week there was an update a firmware update for the Playstation 3 that allowed you now to pair and use your DualShock 4 controller for the PS4 with your PS3 wirelessly. Yes. Now, you may remember you could previously use your DualShock 4 on the PS3 if you had the cable and you just yeah. plugged it in. It didn't work on every single game. I know GTA 5 it was not compatible with. Yeah. And then some things like the... I think you couldn't use the button to like go to back to like the main PS3 homepage. Yeah. That did not work. And then the 6-axis stuff did not work. Yeah. Much to my chagrin when I was playing Last of Us Left Behind. Yes, and Rumble was not there either. Yes, that's But true. you could use the DualShock 4 and feel, you know hold that nice comfy controller and use yeah. those nice springy buttons and not have to use the DualShock 3. Yeah, and just take that DualShock 3 and just crush it because it's awful. Yes, um, but you had to plug it in, which was a little inconvenient, especially if you have a living room like where mine's laid out where I just can't get a cable from the PS4 yeah. on my couch. Um, so this seems cool. I have not done this yet just because the game I'm playing on my PS3 right now is... Uh, Persona 3 The Answer Known as Episode Igus in Japan yes. I just want to say that because Episode Igus is an awesome title But what's even better is that the main story Is called Episode Yourself in Japan so. Yes that's great But anyway I'm playing that and the DualShock 3 is just fine For that all you do in Persona is you use the sticks On the face buttons so it doesn't matter um, I only really get annoyed with the DualShock 3 When I have to use the triggers So um, I get annoyed by the DualShock 3 when I look at it Okay. Well, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think this is kind of interesting. Right now, it's still it's similar to when you plug it in wired. It just recognizes it as a universal controller, a generic yeah. controller. Um, 
This implies to me, though, that maybe we'll get some more functionality in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if the home button support comes in at some point. That'd be nice. Not there yet, but definitely um, this is a nice step in the right direction. And, you know, my PS3 is going to have to stay out for a long time to come because not only is Persona 5 coming out, we got Persona 4 Arena, and then there's other Japanese games coming for PS3, probably for many years to come. So my PS3 is going to still have a place on the shelf, but I can use a better controller with it now if I want. Yeah. So that's nice. Yes, it is. All right. So there's that. Um, let's talk about a game we are both very excited to play on our PlayStation 4s. Yes. Destiny. Yes. All right. Let me look up the exact dates here, but they have announced when the beta periods are going to start. Yep. And, um, you know, they also confirmed recently that the beta will also happen on the 360 and Xbox One. So everybody, whatever platform you're playing on, you will get to participate in the Destiny beta, which I think is good. Um, it will start, as we all know, on July 17th. And uh, that's going to be on the PS3 um, and PS4, PS4. right? Yeah. And so let's see. So I'm just trying to figure out the dates here. So, yeah, it's going to go, it's going to run on the PS3, PS4 from July 17th to like the 21st, like the end of that week. And then it's going to take a short break, come back on July 24th. And then everybody, that's when it's going to come out on 361. It'll come back to PS3 and 4. And everybody will get to play it until July 28th. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be plenty of time. Everyone will be able to try it out. And you know, with this, Destiny, the, definitely the Destiny hype machine is ramping up at the moment. So in addition to the beta announcement, we also learned about the um, special editions and limited editions, which is good because it wouldn't be a Bungie game without a crazy fucking limited edition. Yeah, yeah. So they have the normal limited edition, which is you know the game and some stuff like a map and shit like that. Which really importantly also comes out with their basically their season pass for the two expansions. And Which is worth 35 bucks. Yeah, so. so when you kind of do the math, if you buy the, the limited edition, you're kind of really only paying five extra dollars as long as you're sure you want those expansion packs. So if you're really, like, way into Destiny like I am, and you're, like, pretty fucking damn sure you're going to buy those expansions when they come out, buying the limited edition is a really good deal. Yes. Sounds great. And uh, the limited edition is ninety nine ninety nine. It'll come with the limited edition steelbook case and game disc, a Guardian folio, which will have arms and armament field guide, postcards from the Golden Age, antique star charts. Who, who the hell knows what yeah. all this stuff will be? Yeah, but, it is but, called, like, you, you'll just go look at a picture and they have kind of a picture of all the stuff that's kind yeah. of next to the box and you kind of see it. Yep, and it'll have some digital addition, uh, some some digital content too. So that'll be neat. Um, but there's also going to be the $150 Destiny Ghost Edition, which will have everything from that limited set, but also a replica of Ghost, your Peter Dinklage robot friend from yes. the game, and Mister That Wizard came from the Moon Man. Yes, and it will actually have Peter Dinklage's voice, so that you can bring Ghost around with you and have him say that Wizard came from the Moon. Yeah. Hopefully that's one of the lines. That's got to be. It's such a meme now. There's actually yeah. no. I mean, they put a fucking T-shirt out, like a yes. division T-shirt that had that line on it. So. So anyway, this seems cool. I think one of the nice things that Bungie started doing, I think, around the time of Halo Reach, and really, and and the, and I think three four three followed up on with Halo Four, is that well, they still put out those big like hundred and fifty dollar editions, yeah. which is obviously modeled off way back in the day the Halo Three Legendary Edition, yeah. where you got the Master Chief helmet, which we all still have on our shelves. Yes. Hi, Chief. Yep, he's got a fedora he on in your yeah, apartment. Yep. 
Yep. He's classed it up. Oh, yeah. Every Christmas in December, I put a Santa hat on. <laughs> nice. So it's always it's always fun. But in any case, um, you know, but back in the day, if you got that one, you had to get that $150 edition, not just for the Chief Helmet, but all the, like, bonus discs and stuff. Yeah. Some of that came with a lower edition, but not all of it. Yeah. Um, but I think what's cool with, like, the Destiny one is that if you pay for the $100 version, you get everything except the big Ghost Replica. Yeah. And I don't need to pay 50 extra bucks for that. It sounds cool. Yeah. So I like that there's a more reasonable price point where you get all the cool stuff. Yeah. So in any case, uh, I've upgraded to the limited edition. Have you done the same thing? Yeah, so have I. Yep. So, sounds fun. Yep. I am just, I'm excited for Destiny. Yeah, I'm, I really want to play that fucking beta. Like, I, I was on a forum earlier today, and then someone mentioned that in that Devil Walker fight in the alpha, that you could dis- disable the uh, cannon on top by shooting it. What? I, I didn't even fucking, I never knew that. It's like, I played that fucking strike like six fucking times. I never even thought that that would be possible. And someone just fucking said it. It's like, God damn it. The, the, the game, there's well, a lot of different shit you can do in that this game. This time next week, Sean, we will be yeah. playing Destiny again. And if that, hopefully that strike is in there so I can fucking go do that. And be like, <laughs> God damn it. I should, have, I should have known that would have made that fight a lot easier because that's the thing that always killed me against that fucking thing. Nice. All right. So that's Destiny. Let's see anything else. Oh, there's also the Persona Q Shadow of the Labyrinth limited edition coming out. If you are a Persona fan... I don't know if it's sold out yet. Maybe I'll check. Yeah. But it, it very well might be. But that comes out November 25th. They've announced it's the 3DS Persona game that's a crossover between Persona 3 and Persona 4. Um, you can do the normal pre-order of the game, which is $50, up from the 3DS's usual 40 and that comes with some small bonus things. But the $80 version, which is what I have pre-ordered, and you can still pre-order it. It's not sold out yet comes with uh, a special limited edition 3DS XL case, which looks kind of fun. It's got Teddy on the inside, so... And Koromaru. So that's good. It's got... It's funny because Teddy is just hollow on the inside. Indeed. It's got an art book, and it's got the soundtrack CD. That's really what I want out of this. Yeah. And then it's got the tarot cards from the game. Which is... That's nice. That's nice. And it's it's 11 of them. You get the other 11 if you pre-order Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. Huh. So... I was kind of hoping it would be like a full deck with like the coins and swords and wands and all that shit but. <laughs> yeah well you at least get you get some of it so yeah. that sounds fun so as long as we're talking cool game pre-orders you should do that because Persona's awesome sure yes I'm, if you have a 3DS if you have a 3DS I guess you're not going to buy a 3DS for this probably not I okay. can't I can't Just I can't buy do that. that okay I can't do that that's too much money you get a 2DS <laughs> no because <laughs> I live in three dimensions motherfucker Exactly. All right. So let's see. I, I'll be interested to see if Persona Q uses the 3D functionality. A lot Prop of games are not these days. Do, do like any games ever really use it? I mean, boy, I haven't bought a new 3DS game in a while. I mean, Bravely Default uses it heavily, but that's a two-year-old game in terms of when it came out in Japan. Yeah. So, yeah. But God, what's the last? I don't know. I, I don't know if like Mario Golf was like the last big one that. I think that used it, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, who knows? In I don't have case, a 3DS, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean the big turning know. point was Pokemon X and Y, which don't use it, and I'm assuming Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire will yeah, not either. Probably so, not. So, yeah, interesting. Well, let's move on. That's games. Let's transition into some TV news. Okay. By talking about a TV game show. TV game, game show. Game TV... TV show based so, on like, a game? Like Wheel of Fortune. Persona 4 Golden, the anime. Oh. We talked about this last time. Yes. It was announced. We are like, what the fuck is it? If you don't know, there's Persona 4. came out in 2008, PS2. Then in 2012, there was an enhanced remake um, for the PS Vita called Persona 4 The Golden. And there's a Persona... And there was a... In the middle between that, yeah. there was Persona 4 The Animation. Yeah, like a 25-episode 
season that told the story of the game. Yes. And now they're making Persona 4 the Golden the animation. Yes. That's not what they're calling it, but yeah. Um, might as well be what they're calling it. And uh, that starts today in Japan, and they're streaming it. Uh, in the U.S., is it through Crunchyroll? Maybe I don't know off the top of my head. It's you can. There's some way you can see. Yeah, with English subtitles yeah. and everything. So that sounds pretty cool. Um, it's a 12 episode series, right? Yes. So we're gonna find out what the hell this is. Yeah, like if, if they're doing like trying to really quickly adapt the game, like to kind of do a truncated the animation story while putting it like just putting in all the golden shit. I don't know. I would think the best thing to do would just be to say, look, these are events that happens, happened during the action of the animation show, but you just didn't see. So now yeah. you'll see like the Marie social link and some that's of the Adachi stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it could be interesting, but we've got to keep people updated on the Persona news. So that's why yeah. that's there. And then maybe there's like a whole episode where you're in this like the new dungeon and it's like, eh, it's kind of, it's kind of like shitty. But if you're like really high over high level, like the entire dungeon is just completely broken for you. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so PlayStation TV Yes um, This is PlayStation's initiative to try to make their own original content Because every single Digital platform in the world That could show you something related to TV Is trying to make their own TV shows Yes um, You know, I mean, God, I, I should have mentioned this Yahoo, of all places, picked up The NBC show Community for a sixth season Community. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did, not, I did not hear that. Community was canceled in yeah, May after that. its yeah. fifth season, and uh, on June thirtieth, which was the last day it could ever be renewed, because on that day the cast contracts would expire. Yahoo announced that it's picking up Community to make a thirteen-episode sixth season. Apparently, it's going to be the same budget, same lengths, all of that. It's going to be Community, but it's on Yahoo. On one hand, so that's just Jonathan. I have a question. Do you really like Community? Right? Very good show. Yeah. So when you heard that news, did, did you I... go? Yahoo! That joke was made on Twitter so many times. Well, I have, I did not even know this happened, so I had to make. Yeah, that. it's weird because on you know you have to you didn't you didn't answer my question though. Yes, I went Yahoo. Okay, good. All right, yeah, it's very good. Um, but anyway, on one hand, you've got to ask, wait, Yahoo makes television series, and then, yeah, and then on the other hand, you have to, well, Yahoo still exists, and then you've got to go. Wait, this is genius because now we all know Yahoo exists and makes TV series. Yeah. The next thing you know, Ask Jeeves is going to pick up like <laughs> Hannibal for like another season or something. Well, Hannibal didn't get canceled, but yeah. yeah. Well, when it does. No. Ask Jeeves is going to pick up Firefly. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, here we go, motherfucker. We're doing it. You all asked for it for years. For fucking years. Like, fucking Fox didn't do it. Netflix didn't do it. Hulu didn't do it. Amazon didn't do it. Fucking Yahoo didn't do it. Guess who did it, motherfucker? Ask Jeeves. Ask who? Ask Jeeves, bitch. Because Ask Jeeves and Firefly are roughly as old as one another. Yeah, exactly. They're about as relevant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And they put Jeeves as like another character. He's a, he's a crew member on the Firefly. So, yeah. So pretty much or every. Absurdity. So pretty much everybody who could be making quote unquote TV shows is that includes PlayStation. Hopefully, we'll get an Ask Jeeves TV show at one yeah. point. Um. Maybe Ask Jeeves can make an animated Where's Waldo show. I feel like those would go well together. <laughs> yeah. They're bringing back, like, Magic School Bus. Yeah. But anyway, we talked about this be, uh, PlayStation TV and their show Powers, which is going to be the kickoff to their initiative. This will be their House of Cards, if you will. Yeah. And um, it, we, we talked about this at E3 because uh, Sony Cause, talked cause, about cause, it. For... Yeah, because Brian Michael Bendis came out and did his fucking, like, monologue for ten minutes. Yes, he did his... 
soliloquy about powers that went on and on and on. To put a TV show on PlayStation 4 or not to put a TV show on PlayStation 4? <laughs> That's <Yes>. the question. <laughs> and um, anyway, I kind of wondered at the time that... You know, so many, I think, of the digital series that have been going out are just awful. I think a lot of the original content on Hulu is bad. Most of the original content on Netflix is bad, which includes House of Cards, which is not a good show, but somehow got 13 Emmy nominations this morning because I don't even think the Emmy voters... Kevin Spacey, bitch. I I think that's it. I I don't think Emmy voters actually watch House of Cards because if you watched House of Cards, you would just kind of laugh at it in a so bad it's good way. And then you would not nominate it for awards. But I think they nominate it because they think it's prestigious. It isn't. But anyway, there should be an Emmy that just like the Emmy just says Kevin Spacey bitch on it, and that's like the Emmy that they give House of Cards. Yeah, I should get that. I agree. (laughs) It's it is a Kevin Spacey bitch level achievement. Yeah, but not much more than that. Um, But anyway, yeah, I just think you know, there's you've got you know the rare outliers like Orange Is the New Black on Netflix, which are very very good and and culturally relevant TV shows um, that are coming out of these outlets. But for the most part, it's kind of a wash. Amazon keeps doing those awful pilots that no one likes. Um, so I was just wondering, will PlayStation TV actually make something worth watching? And I don't know if Powers will be that, but we have an indication in the direction of they are at least trying to get talented people to work on it. Because yeah. they did announce the other day that David Slade will be the director of the Powers pilot and second episode, the, the first two episodes. And uh, David Slade, if you don't know, as a movie director, he's most famous for the film 30 Days of Night, and then he did the Twilight Saga Eclipse, which is the best-directed Twilight movie. It's a bad movie because the Twilight story is awful. Is that the third one? Yeah, it's the third one. It's a very well-directed movie. Like, you watch it, and it's like, if I can drone out, you know, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, the the visuals are very nice. That kind of thing. David Slade is an incredible visual craftsman, and we know this primarily from some of the TV shows he's made. He did uh, the pilot of the show Awake, which was this... Very, very short-lived show on NBC, but very interesting and good show, and, and he did a, he knocked that out of the park. But even more so, NBC's Hannibal, which I'm going to talk about later on this show in terms of what's the best TV of the year so far. David Slade did the pilot on that and has directed and has kept with the show and, and been uh, directing episodes here and there, including the season two finale, which is one of the best episodes of TV I think you'll ever see. So he's a really talented TV director, and I feel like Power's... I feel like one of the things the Power Show would need to really stand out and really bring its story to life is a really distinctive visual style. Yeah. This is someone who can deliver that, and, you know, they're not phoning this in, is, is, is all I get from hearing that. Yeah, so. and then, I mean, also, you know, having Brian Michael Bendis, who's the dude who right. know, wrote the original comic book series, it, I think it's still an ongoing series, having him, like, deeply involved in the project is also really reassuring, so. Yes. So, that just sounds interesting to me. Um, I, maybe PlayStation TV will succeed where... Uh, Amazon TV or something like yeah, that. I don't yeah. know. Or, you know, hopefully, if not, SGs can step in and, you know, deal with it. <laughs> the powers will be cancelled by PlayStation TV and, and SGs... The SGs will pick it up, yeah, season two. What show would Netscape make? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Netscape brings back X-Files for another season. Netscape brings back... Oh, God, what's the... Oh. This was going to be funny. I forget the name of the show. <laughs> sure was. What's the, what's the name of the show Claire Danes was on that she's famous for? My so-called teenage life. That's one of the famous, like, oh, brilliant yeah. but canceled shows. It's, like, sure. from the 80s. Yeah. And and that's still a show that there's a small but vocal fan base bitching about. Yeah. Yes. They will, they will renew my so-called teenage life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Claire Danes, probably, they can't afford. Yeah. So they just get a new actress. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. So that sounds good. Does, does AOL come back and make a TV show? I think if we we trying to run this joke into the ground, I think we should move on. I think they make a you've got. Mail I think teeth. it would be best if we moved on. Okay. What do you want to move on to, Sean? Uh, you're the one who oh, has that monstrosity. 
Uh, you want to do one more TV news? Sure. Okay. One more TV news. So, um, you know the show Sherlock? Yes, I've we reviewed all the seasons. Yes, we reviewed the third season on the show earlier this year. Yes, we did. It was good. Yes, it was great. Yeah. Well, I thought it, I liked it more than you did. Yeah, it's, it's had problems, but yes. Um, my primary problem with the end of with Sherlock season three was the last ten seconds of Sherlock season yes. three. Um, yeah, because I realized they made this announcement the other day about season four of Sherlock, and I had forgotten Sherlock existed because those last ten seconds of season three were so bad. Yeah. that even though I loved all of season three up to that point. I just kind of, I think I just mentally blocked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so anyways. Okay. Sherlock season four. Sherlock season four. They are shooting. This is, this is hilarious, I think. They're shooting uh, not just a series four, but an additional special. Probably going to be a Christmas mm-hmm. special. They will start filming it in January 2015. Oh, jeez. And then later that year, they'll shoot series four. So, at a certain point, you have to ask... Is there nothing they can do to get these out faster than every two or three years? I mean, it's it's a tricky thing when your two lead character, two lead actors, after Sherlock season one became two of like the rising, you know, biggest stars out there with like getting TV gigs and fucking Martin Freeman on The Hobbit and been into Cumberbatch. Seems like he's in fucking everything nowadays. The Hobbit, yeah, also in The Hobbit and like Star Trek and fucking everything. Both of them got Emmy nominations this morning, and in fact, Martin Freeman is nominated in two categories: he's best actor in a miniseries and he's best supporting actor in a miniseries. <laughs> because yeah. for some reason, even though Sherlock is an ongoing series, it always gets nominated in miniseries. The I can, because it's three yeah. episode seasons. I can, yeah. I can kind of understand. No, they, actually, they don't understand how to deal with that shit. Yeah. Actually, what they do is they nominate it as a TV movie, and they just pick one episode and do that. So they're, they're, they put up the, the finale, which, fair enough, Martin Freeman is fucking fantastic yeah, in that. Sure, yeah, sure. But Benedict Freeman was nominated for that, too. Benedict so, Freeman? Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes, that's Okay. It. I like the name Benedict Freeman, too. Sure. But Martin Cumberbatch. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's they're just all... do. Let's just start writing our weird like fan ship okay. fiction bullshit. So they're very, very famous and successful right now. And Stephen Moffat is writing Doctor Who, which yeah. takes a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. He's show running two different TV yes. shows, which is not, I imagine, an easy thing to do. No, especially when the pressure on both of them is kind of enormous. Yeah, two hugely successful and fan fan driven shows. So. Yeah. Um, so, it, but it is kind of funny. It's like they made this announcement, and then you know you have the statements from Freeman and Cumberbatch and everyone saying they're they're committed to it and everything. But it's like, you know, we're probably it's probably gonna be Christmas 2015 is what they're shooting. Is I'm yeah. guessing it's a Christmas special. So we have a long time to wait, and then even longer still until an actual series comes out, and even then it'll only be the three episodes. Yeah, it's just an interesting scenario. Yeah, it's, it's weird. like I'm glad that you know they're sticking to it because it's, even though. You know, I had sort of like a rocky relationship with the last season. I still really like the show, and I still really wanted, you know, even though, even though like they left it off on a bad note, they can fix it. Like they could fucking what I said. There could be a good twist in there somehow. What I said on Twitter when I heard this news is what I still feel. If the special is just ninety minutes of Sherlock and and Watson killing Moriarty over and over again in increasingly yeah, and like the ways. most definitive, like it just ends it with the most definitive, like they throw him into the sun. Yes. I would love that. Just take annoying Moriarty and just yeah. murder him over and over. If they just make this like there is absolutely no way, absolutely no way, you could not possibly come up with a way that he could come back. Throw him into the sun at the heart of the Andromeda galaxy and then blow up that entire galaxy. Sure. Right? Yeah. So we have a supernova event so far away from us that even if he survived it, he's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. But other and than you that. You just have a camera pointed at his face the entire time. You just watch him burn into nothingness. Yeah. You watch him just get completely annihilated. You, you no, know, you fucking throw him into like a particle accelerator and have him be annihilated. 
Yeah. Like, just completely. It's just his atoms are gone. Like, he's turned into energy and he's gone. Yeah. He could not possibly come back. It sounds like by the time we get more Sherlock, not only will season 8 of Doctor Who have aired and finished, season 9 of Doctor Who will air, have aired and finished. Yeah. Peter Capaldi will be one year away from leaving the role. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully the Christmas special is a crossover Doctor Who Sherlock Christmas special. I yeah. want to get that sometime. Sure, yeah. But we'll see. Uh, that's TV news. Let's move into some movie things, Sean. Okay, movie things. All right. Movie thing. I have two quick notes about just movies that I think are, are cool or sound cool that are, are coming in limited release uh, capacities. So um, I talked about this film on the podcast before, the new Dragon Ball Z movie, which came out in March of yeah. 2013 in Japan. It's called Battle of Gods, or in Japanese, Kami Tokami, which is just God and God, which yeah. is not as exciting. Yeah, but, but you know, Japanese titles are just weird. Yeah. So Kami Tokami. So the fourth, the golden. Exactly. So, Battle of Gods, it's a really good DBZ movie. It's the best DBZ movie. It's really, really good, actually. It's not necessarily a very high bar. Like, there are some that are kind of okay. Most of them, mm, no. Bio Broly. Mm. <laughs> ah, I'm not so sure about that. No. <laughs> I'm not sure you could call that a movie at some point. Battle of Gods is a good, really fun DBZ movie. It's It was written um, in conjunction with Akira Toriyama. He had the, the original author of the show. His influence is obvious throughout the entire thing. And it's just, it is one of the purest expressions of Dragon Ball you'll ever get in actual animation. Um, it's wonderful. But in any case, uh, that came out in Japan in March. I got it on Blu-ray from Japan in September. Um, and I talked about it then, probably. But uh, Funimation, finally, after... We are like the last country on Earth that's getting this movie yeah. outside of Japan. And uh, it's coming to theaters in August. I think it's like the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. It'll be yeah, in theaters right. on some of those dates. They're only showing the English dubbed version, which I think is slightly weird. Funimation usually puts a subbed version out, too. But um, it'll be, it's because the you know the dub is so sort of popular here. It, kind it of is, me. yeah. But I just thought with over four nights, I thought they might. Yeah. But it's it's fine. Um, the dub did premiere um, in LA at a, an anime convention like last week. Um, I heard if you go to like the Kanzenshu Dragon Ball fan site, which I read and recommend all the time because they're the best place for Dragon Ball news and stuff. They talk the best about, place for the series that actually ended like twenty years ago. And yet there's stuff happening. And yet with somehow, all the time. yeah, yeah. They're putting out the new fucking Xenoverse game. Yes. Yeah. So interesting. But they talked about, uh, they had some people out there seeing the dub, and apparently it's it's very much in line with the dub Funimation did for Dragon Ball Kai, the kind of re-versioning of, of Dragon Ball Z, yeah. which was a very much more accurate and faithful dub, um, higher quality than the original yeah. Dragon Ball Z dub stuff. So it sounds like it's a good dub. I might try to check it out because Battle of Gods has really good animation, and I'd like to see it. In a theater, so that'll be playing. Definitely, if you like Dragon Ball Z, I recommend it. Although, don't believe the trailers Funimation is yeah. putting out for that movie. They're advertising it as you know, raw Dragon Ball Z action. It's not what the movie is. Super Saiyan God, motherfuckers. Yeah, because of fucking God. I do think Battle of Gods has the most impressively animated action sequence in the entire series. But it's it's five minutes near the end of the movie. For the most part, this is a movie about the characters and about humor. And it's got a more involved story than some of the others, so... Yeah, I think, because, you know, most of the Dragon Ball Z movies... Have no story. Yeah, it's just like, here's, and here's like a 45-minute animated film that's just an action scene. It's like, yeah, what? <laughs> and everything in it is just, like, the plot in it is just the plot from, like, the most recent thing they did in the show. Yes, and sometimes they're really fun, and sometimes they're bio-broly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway... That's that's coming out. But more interestingly to me, even, is um, we've talked about before on this podcast, I think, that we really love, in terms of web series, the Angry Video Game Nerd. Yeah, yeah, it comes up every now and then. Yes. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even... You know, the Angry Video Game Nerd puts out so few episodes now, I'm not sure how 
much people know about him on the internet yeah. these days. Um, but if you've never, you know, he's been making videos since 2004. Uh, you know, James Rolfe on Cinemassacre does a lot of other cool series that we we yeah. sometimes yeah, like, like Monster, Monster Madness. Madness. If you if you want to get like a really succinct but entertaining history of Godzilla films, he did a Godzilla thon a couple of years ago. Still fucking great. So great stuff. Um, but anyway, for the last two years, he's been making AVGN the movie, yeah. which is fascinating because you know definitely people make movies of of shows or try to make those all the time, but of a web series that is reviewed based it's a really fascinating idea yeah. um, and and he's been talking about the movie since like 2007 and I've been excited to see it ever since and he announced last uh, maybe two weeks ago on Cinemassacre that he's premiering it he's premiering it at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood which is pretty fucking cool I think yeah, yeah. and then it's premiering at Comic Con and then he's taking it around the country and it will be playing in Denver um, at the uh, Old Town Arvada Theater um, but it's already sold out I, I got my tickets. I'm really excited to see it. That'll be cool to be able to see that movie in a theater as it was uh, assumedly intended. Yeah. But that means it'll probably be out on Blu-ray and DVD by the end of the year. But and he also said he's thinking of like see if there's going to be some sort of online digital option, obviously. So right. So it sounds really exciting. I'm I'm really interested to see what this movie turns out to be. It's a truly independent production. Yeah. Um. And you know, just every time he puts out a video for anything, you just that guy has such a voice and such a tone and style. I think getting to see that expanded to a feature film will be really cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited for it. Yeah. So, um, you know, look on Cinemasker.com if you're interested and see if it's going to be in your area. Most of them are sold out, but he keeps adding showtimes and stuff, so um, it's going to be cool. That's one of the things I like, is that he's he's putting out these showtimes and they're all selling out, so there's there's a you know reward yeah. for this. Hopefully the dude is not going to go bankrupt for making this movie. Yeah, that yeah. Awesome, so. All right, um... That's okay. And the last piece of movie news is we talked about last year on this podcast. We really liked Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Yes, good, good kaiju movie. Very good kaiju movie. It's the Very movie. Very good robot hitting a monster in the face with a fucking battleship movie. Yes, motherfucker. Great, just really fun action adventure movie. And uh, Guillermo del Toro announced that a Pacific Rim two is being made for release in April of a twenty. 17? I think it was 17. 2017, yeah. That would make sense. It would be hard to get that made before yeah. then. Maybe it was 2016, but we'll see. Um, in any case, he's making Pacific Rim 2, and this had really been up in the air because Pacific Rim did not do well in the United States. I don't even think it hit $100 million lifetime yeah, gross. I don't think so. But it was huge in the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I mean, it made... I, I, maybe I'll look it up, but it, it, it went way beyond anything I had thought because it had a fairly big budget, but it definitely was, was big and profitable. And... Um, well, you know, I think there's something about a robot hitting a giant yeah. monster in the face with a fucking battleship that just speaks to the core of humanity. You know, that yeah. crosses all cultural boundaries. Everyone can love that. Yep. It doesn't matter who you are. So it was a $190 million movie and made $411 million worldwide. That's really, if you do the math, that's barely eking out a profit. But that tells you that that's a franchise you can work with yeah. and do more in the future. Costs on sequels will probably be lower in some ways and whatnot. Um, but I think it's cool. I, I think Guillermo del Toro is such a... Just such a cool guy and cool director, and yeah. I'm glad that he's finally, after he took that kind of long sojourn with The Hobbit that never got made, yeah. um, he's finally getting back into making movies steadily. He's got this movie Crimson Peak coming out next year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just am really excited to see another new original film from him. And then he announced the other day he's making another small, independent black and white film before he makes Pacific Rim 2. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to get that. They're also making a Pacific Rim animated series, <laughs> which... Sure. Why not? It'll sure. work, yeah. Yeah, like, it practically kind of is yeah. one anyways in some ways. And I think what I'm most interested to see with the sequel is that, I, you know, the first movie had to spend a lot of time on exposition and getting things in place and working out yeah, the like character. Yeah, like setting up the universe yeah. and stuff. 
and and I'm and it's such a direct story, which is that these fucking monsters are here. We have to beat the hell out of them. Yeah. I want to see what they can do in a sequel where they can do something a little more complex and maybe mm-hmm. creative and fun and in, in you know bigger. Um, yeah. And that dude's got a very big imagination, and it's just cool that he gets to keep making movies with a natural budget because yeah. sometimes. Um, art, you know, maybe art house directors get this chance to make a big movie. It flops, and we never hear from them again. Sadly, yeah. um, and maybe this finally will allow what Guillermo del Toro has said several times that he wants to have a crossover between Pacific Rim and the new Godzilla. That would so, be pretty cool. Yes, please. Yes, yes. They are both wholly owned in the United States by Legendary Films, so that could be pretty awesome. Yep. All right. So that's all the news and and stuff I've got. You want to move on? Let's move on. All right. So, Sean, it is the midpoint of 2014. In terms of entertainment and what you've gotten to see and what you've sensed, how has 2014 seemed as a year for you in in the media landscape? Good so far. Like, I think, you know, this is obviously for video games. This is always kind of the dry period. That's been changing over the past few years, but it's still the big, the big Call of Duties, Dear Destiny, that kind of shit always comes out in the fall. Although this fall is kind of looking a little sparse with stuff getting pushed into February and stuff. But yeah, like, so video games are a little bit sparse, but there have been some really good titles that have definitely come out. I think notably is one that I'm still playing through, but I, every time I play, I play it, it just gets better and better. Is Wolfenstein the New Order. Like, so far, I'm probably like 70% of the way through it, if, like, kind of looking at some of the stuff in the game suggests. And so far, that is that is a game of the year contender to me. Like, it is... That game has gotten so good, so fast. It is so much fun to play, and the story is so good. It's fucking great. And then, as far as movies go, Captain America 2, motherfucker, and Godzilla, motherfucker. So, <laughs> fuck yeah, motherfucker. It is. This has been an interesting year for me, because if you take TV out of the equation, which is kind of having an all-timer year. TV has had so much good stuff this year, and there's been so many new series, from you know True Detective to Fargo to... There's been a bunch of, of really interesting new series and miniseries on TV this year, and that's all fascinating. Um, so TV's having a great banner year. We can take yeah. put that aside. But if you look at like movies and games, I think we're having fairly sparse years for both. I think gaming, there are, you know, once in a while we're getting these... The AAA titles are kind of, they're few and far between. They've been pretty generally pretty good, though. So we've had yeah. these kind of diamonds in the rough situation where we have Wolfenstein the New Order and it's better than anyone could have anticipated or yeah. Infamous Second Son and that from you and me at least was better than I think we could have anticipated yeah. even though it looked good and and you know Titanfall was really everybody loved that and things like that so what we're getting is quality it's just it's kind of a sparse dry year for a lot of things mm-hmm. and I think it's the same on the movie side Hollywood is having its lowest earning year in a while um, this summer has been really sparse, I think, for big, good tentpole movies. But the ones that have come out, I feel generally, if you take like Amazing Spider-Man two and Transformers out of the equation, yeah, you know, Which you should just take that out of any equation. You should just, you should, yeah. Um, we've had a lot of really good ones. I feel like I think that the trifecta of like, you know, Captain America two into Godzilla into X Men Days of Future Past in terms of those big May April blockbusters, yeah. just, those are really good. Hollywood movies yeah. really good and I think then you know into some of the sequels we've had this year with 22 Jump Street and How to Train Your Dragon 2 uh, that came out in one weekend and those are fantastic movies and we had you know that's a 22 Jump Street is a fantastic Hollywood you know comedy sequel that's unprecedented in a lot of ways yeah what <laughs> good comedy sequel what doesn't happen a lot no you know this this was oh, no. no this was no Hangover 2 and or 3 so it's Hangover Part 2 and Hangover Part 3 yes the saga must yeah. be respected 
So it's it's just it's been a really interesting year on that level. Movies have had there's definitely been some art house standouts. A lot of those are actually coming later this month and into the rest of the year. Um, and I feel like the same thing is happening with games. There's been some smaller games that have been good, but we're probably waiting on the best ones because movies and games have a similar kind of schedule. Where I think yeah. the really good stuff, whether it's more art house, smaller fare, or bigger blockbuster temple fare, they sometimes save that for later on. Um, movies less so for the blockbuster stuff. But so 2014's been a weird year, but there's been some definite nuggets of quality I want to talk about. Yeah. Okay. As we hit this midway point, so here's here's how I want to do this, Sean. All right. You might not be able to participate in all three of these. No, because I, I, <laughs> we've already listed every movie I've seen this year. So. Okay, so we've got you know movies, video games, and television, and I want to go through these and just say whether it's me talking alone or both of us throwing out some recommendations. I want to go for a top three. It doesn't have to be ranked or anything. Okay, but if you've got that, what are and let's start with games just so we okay. can do this. Three games. The, the best three games from this year you would recommend to someone at midway point that as we enter this next dry spell and everything, or as yeah. we're in the midst of this dry spell, what are three games from the first half of this year people should be playing? I have my three in mind. Where would you start? Uh, Wolfenstein is absolutely, I think, is a must-play. Uh, and again, that's for me not having beaten the game. Like, like, I don't know how the game ends, but I at least know that there's nobody, like... Because you always know when there's, like, the ending is going to be awful because there's always some of this, like... The end of the game sucks! You know, like, you always know that going ahead if you, like, pay attention to any discussion online. But, holy fucking shit, man. Wolfenstein is so... It's really, really, really good. And especially, it's partially a thing that I personally really, really love. Good, good, like, single-player first-person shooters. And Wolfenstein is entirely single-player. There's not even a multiplayer mode in the game. Which, that's just, like, refreshing that you don't have to think about that bullshit at all. And so if you're like me and you are into single-player first-person shooter campaigns, I think Wolfenstein is absolutely a must-buy. Like, the, the gameplay is incredible. The story is really well done. The writing for all the characters is great. The sort of the... It's, it's a game... It's made by Machine Games, and it's kind of their first project, but it's made by a bunch of people who came from the developer Starbreeze. And if you've played games like Chronicles of Riddick or one of my favorites, The Darkness, which is a very early sort of cult classic on the Xbox 360, they know how to make story-based first-person shooters, and that is in full effect here. And, I mean, they may, they managed in Wolfenstein The New Order to make the character B.J. Blazkowicz, who's the main character of the Wolfenstein franchise, who's been the main character since, you know, the fucking early 90s, before Doom came out. That he is not a character. They managed to make him into, a, like, a compelling, interesting character in this game and make him make sense, and yet he is still identif- identifiably Colonel William Blazkowicz, you know? Like, it's it's... It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I really want to play this game. Yeah. Especially after hearing that recommendation. It really... I forget exactly when it came out, but it, it got buried, it felt Yeah, like. it kind of... It came out, like, around when Watch... I think it actually came out on the same day as Watch Dogs. I think I'm you're right. Sure. And obviously it's a better game. I think, I, think, I think that Watch Dogs and I want to say Child of Light all came out on the same day. And Mario and, Kart 8 was the same week. Yeah, and I think, like, Wolfenstein... I have not played Child of Light, obviously, but I think Wolfenstein is probably the one that's out of those three... Should have been the winner of that week. Watch Dogs definitely sold probably like five times as much as Wolfenstein did. Although I well, don't think Wolfenstein sold poorly. I'm not no, sure. it didn't sell poorly, but just the discussion was all about Watch Dogs and its flaws and stuff. And I heard, I saw some, you know, think pieces about how, you know, Wolfenstein is good and you should be playing it. Yeah. But didn't have that level of hype. And um, definitely... And, yeah, and the other thing about Wolfenstein is that it's not just that it's really good. It's also really refreshing because it feels like a really different game. And that's so nice... 
for a first-person shooter where that genre has for a very long time felt very staid, I kind of had the same feeling when I was playing Destiny of, like, this feels like you're taking this genre that is almost as old as gaming itself. Especially, like, like for this, like, kind of 3D gaming. It is as old as 3D gaming. This is, like, it's such an old genre that it's so hard to make it feel new again, but Wolfenstein manages to make it feel, with a lot of its ideas and a lot of the way it, 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 it's constructed... It just feels like a new version of a first-person shooter that we've never really seen before. And that's so refreshing, and it's so creative in that way. It's awesome. Awesome. So, the game number one game I would recommend for this year... We'll just yeah. go back and forth like this. Okay. Um, no hesitation here, not even thought of any other game, is Bravely Default for the Nintendo sure, okay. 3DS. This came out, I think, back in February for the 3DS. Um, if you don't know, Bravely Default is by Square Enix... And it's a team that had been doing some Final Fantasy uh, handheld games. Like, I think there were, like, the Four Warriors of Light or something. It's, sure. There were some crystal-based Final Fantasy yeah. games. Some of those spinoffs that were acclaimed, and people were like, these are actually pretty good Final Fantasy spinoffs in the vein of old Final Fantasy games, which you and I both love. Mm-hmm. I know, and I think a lot of people definitely, especially after the burnout on thirteen, are kind of wishing we had old-style Final Fantasy back. Well, Bravely Default is one of the best Final Fantasy games ever made, if not the best. It's just... It's not called Final Fantasy. Sure. Um, It is a fantastic JRPG. And I think I said this on the podcast back when I first started playing it. And the thought still applies, which is that I love... We've talked about this a lot. Where with the Persona games, part Mm -hmm. of why we love those, a big part is that they reinvigorated the JRPG genre by kind of melding this social sim side onto it. And also having this great battle system and dungeon system. But it wasn't just this kind of stale, you're going to go into a dungeon, fight, do stuff... Um, They really reimagined what a JRPG could be. And the thing about Bravely Default that blows me away is it's not a fundamental reimagining of what a JRPG can or should be. Mm -hmm. It is exploration and turn-based combat and random encounters. It's just done at such a phenomenally high level of quality with such a phenomenally high level of polish and so many thoughtful just little things in the gameplay and the gameplay design um, and so much complexity to the battle system because of the brave default system that gives the game its title that it feels kind of like you're playing and falling in love with the JRPG genre all over again. And that means you fall in love with some of the frustrations again, if you want. Sure, you know, yeah. some of the difficulty spikes and boss levels and some of the you know complexities of equipment management and things like that. But, you know, if you're in for a penny, you're in with a pound. For in for a pound with JRPGs at a yeah. certain point, and all of that is there, and you know it's just so well done. And I think, you know, I had been playing some older Final Fantasy games at the end of last year into the beginning of this year, just while there were no new games out. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, I was playing Final Fantasy three, the original Japanese version, and then Final Fantasy four, and I really loved doing that. And Bravely Default felt like a perfect, awesome, modern incarnation of this series. And I could go on and on praising what it's got. I think it's got absolutely gorgeous art direction and graphics. It blows everything else on the 3DS that I have played so far out of the water. It's not even funny. It's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous game. It makes phenomenal use of the 3D if you want to turn it on. You don't have to have it on. I have it on maybe about half the time just when I want to appreciate the graphics a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't have to. So there's that. Um, It's got one of the best musical scores I have ever heard for a game. Might be in my top five if I were going to list musical scores for games. It's that good. It is absolutely, you know, um, vintage Nobuo Uematsu quality, Mm -hmm. but it's an even bigger score than that. It's not just, you know, your maybe one hour of music. It's a lot more than that, and it's every every theme in the game. If I hear it, I'm I'm loving it. And that's important for a JRPG because you hear the same music a lot. Yeah. Um, But it it is so good. 
and the characters are fairly you know they're they're not just stock i mean the thing here's the thing they are very archetypal in terms of who they are as jrpg characters but they don't just feel like stock characters thrown in there because you need four characters to follow Mm -hmm. they're fun and they have personalities and the interplay between them is interesting and the story for the game is not fantastic i wouldn't say but i think i it's relatively involved i want to see what happens next Sure. Like old school Final Fantasy kind of story. Yeah, where and I think one of the important things about old school Final Fantasy stories is that they don't necessarily get in the way of playing the game. Sure, yeah. But they also make you want to play the game to get to the next story part. Um, so that's really good. And, and then again, just the level of polish. It's Technically, this is the third version of Bravely Default that we have in the huh. United States because it was released in Japan as just Bravely Default. And it was acclaimed, but it had some problems. And then they came out with a remake version, like a, a re-release called Bravely yeah. Default for the sequel, which is not a sequel. It's just a you know re-release of the first one, but it added in a lot of like stuff. For the sequel, like F-O-R. The like sequel. For the yeah. sequel. Yes. That's a great title. Sequel Mashal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um... But yeah, so it's for the sequel, and it's got and that version had was when they added in like the turn uh, the random encounter slider where you can turn random encounters off or nice. turn all the way up if you want. That's when they added in kind of the you can speed up and slow down battle as you want, so you can know how fast you're going to go through it. They added in a lot of those polished systems, and then there's the American release, which has obviously the English translation and things like that, and I think a couple more gameplay tweaks. So. You know, it's a little unfair to judge this amongst other games that are on their first go-round, but it yeah. is just so polished and so good. It's also, you know, in the American version, got if you want to play it in Japanese with English subtitles, you can do that. Oh, if you want to play it in German with Japanese subtitles, you can do that. It's all on there. No. Um, and I think that's so cool. So you can, do you play it in German with Japanese subtitles? No, I, how I, play I play it in Japanese with English subtitles. The English yeah. dub is really awful, but, you know, I, I don't mind when the Japanese version is on there. Sure, yeah. So that's fine. Um... But yeah, it is it is so good and so fun, and I haven't finished it, and I, I don't know if I'm going to finish it. I've gotten I kind, the... of, kind of feel like that's how it is with a lot of those old school style is. JRPGs. Is like, you're probably never going to finish it. Like, you're going to get like two-thirds of the way through, and it's like, yeah, fuck this. Yeah, and it has a kind of infamously strange second half or last third, however long it takes you to do it, where you get to a certain point, and things, I'll just say, not to spoil anything, things start repeating themselves, and that doesn't bother me so much as the absolutely insane difficulty spike you hit at that point. But, you know, if I am able to carve out some actual time to commit to this game this summer mm-hmm. and actually, you know, I work with it a little bit more, I think I can power through and beat it and I'm interested too because I do want to see where these characters end up. And I just like being in the game and being in the menus and working with the job system. This is the best, deepest, most interesting job system there has ever been in a JRPG. It is fucking fantastic. And... You know, just working with that and, and playing the battles is still fun and just listening to the music and, and, and hanging out with the characters. I like all of that and I like just being in the game and I don't know what higher praise I can, I can give to it than that. So yeah. Bravely Default would definitely be my recommendation and honestly, this year we've got that is out. I still There's some other standout 3DS games out right now. I still need to play Fire Emblem Awakening. And between that and Bravely Default and Persona Q coming out later this year, if you yeah. bought a 3DS this year... You would be happy if you're a fan of those kind of games. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Fire Emblem came out like a year ago, but yeah. yeah. Sure. But I'm just saying, you know, that that library of kind of hardcore uh, games is, is building there. So that's interesting. So that would be my number one recommendation. Sean, do you have a number two? Uh, I think I'm going to have to say Infosecond Sun for that one. And that would be my number yeah. two also. So that's obviously obviously that's the PS4 exclusive. So that only counts if you have a PS4. But we both have PS4, so yeah. that's how that goes. Yeah, like with Infinite Second Sun, you know, we talked the the fuck out of this game on earlier podcasts, but it's just 
for me personally, I think it is just a really, really well-made, unique superhero game that gets at, like, what I think is really fun about superheroes. You know, it has, like, its sort of cheesy morality system, but that morality system's important because it's like you have to make the choice to be the hero. Like, you're not even supposed to pick the evil shit, probably. Like, I feel like that's probably what they felt like when they designed the game, but it has to be there to make the good shit feel significant, and it just feels like when you play the game, it's made by people who understand superhero stuff, and it's, it's you know, it's their third, like their third entry in this franchise even if it's kind of its own thing in terms of story so all the gameplay stuff feels really smooth it is so fucking gorgeous it is still the best looking game I think I've ever played and it's just like how you're saying with Brave, Bravely Default you just kind of like being in the game I just like being in the game that every now and again occasionally I will just boot it up and just go into one of my saves where I've already finished the game and just sort of like walk around and fly all over the place and go to one of like the random spots where they spawn enemies in and beat up those enemies and just exist in that game world and play as that character and, and play with those powers. And it's just such a fun superhero sandbox that had a really well-told story. You know? Yes. It's just a really solid, good game. I mean, God, you know, you compare the open world of Infamous Second Son to the open world of Watch Dogs. Yeah. And... They're both good open worlds on the surface, but even though Watch Dogs has so much more to do, Infamous feels so much deeper and more fun and more engaging yeah. and more lived in and lively. Uh, you know, and, and on top of that, Infamous has this fantastic um, you know, campaign. Yeah. It's, and I feel like people have always, since this game you know, came out a couple months ago, judged the story of Infamous Second Son on such a strange paradigm to me. Yeah. I don't know why it is being judged as if it should be like you know. The Last of Us. Yeah. That's what it feels like people were judging yeah. it. It's like, oh, this story is kind of silly. Yeah, it's a fucking superhero yeah, it's story. A fucking, yeah, exactly. It's a superhero story, man. Like, But it's a really good one. Like, it's not trying to be this really deep... Like, you know, It's not trying to be the Citizen Kane of video games, dude. Yeah, and I think it does such a good job at what it's trying to be. The gameplay is so... I mean, polish is a word I have to keep putting out for yeah. these games I love this year because in, a, in an era, as we talked about before, where a lot of games either literally come out unfinished or feel like they come out unfinished... Yeah, it's like, you know, you need the day one patch or the game like doesn't even really work. Yeah, or a game like, you know, Watch Dogs where I feel like there's just a lot of kind of just shaky stuff in it at different yeah. points. Not that it doesn't play well, it does, but there's just a lot of kind of just shakiness and flaws to it. Infamous Second Son feels so polished. There are no problems with just playing it and playing it is so satisfying. You feel like you are... It feels like Superhero Simulator 2014. Exactly. And it's so fun on that level. And then you've got these, you know, really fun characters too. Troy Baker is great in this game. Yeah. Laura Bailey is really good in this game. Mm -hmm. Travis Willingham. Lots of good performances. You know, fun, vivid characters. Just like some, like the, some of the best acted cutscenes. Yes. You know, with like the facial animation and everything. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's beautiful and has, you know, great a great little musical score and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, as terms of you know next gen games go so far, this is as good as it gets. I think so. They definitely, if you're looking at the visual element, and then on top of that, uh, Sucker Punch has done such a good job of exp of supporting the game after the release, Maybe putting out you know that really huge update that added in like that screenshot mode and everything, like and and being able to change the time of day and a bunch of just little tiny improvements here and there. Lock the frame rate. Yeah. And it's it's one of those exactly because that was like when we talked about it on the podcast that was like one of my few complaints in terms of the technical aspects of the game was that the frame rate was unlocked and that kind of makes it a little bit janky to play because the rate at which your reticle moves changes based on the frame rate obviously and so but then like the next week they released that patch and led you to select the 
to lock the frame rate at 30 frames per second, and it's perfectly smooth that way. And that's awesome that a developer is listening to their complaints. And it's not like, you know, if those things aren't in the game, you know, like, obviously, if the, you can't lock the frame rate, like, that's a small technical complaint. But, like, not having the photo mode, that's not like a real complaint with the game or not being able to change the time of the day. Like, that's not, like, a flaw with the game, but it is something that's, like, ooh, it's, after the game come out, came out, the fans were like, it'd be cool if this was in here, and Sucker Punch clearly listened to that and, and you know, put that into the game. And that's a lot of effort and for just a free little update. And, you know, it really shows that they care, and there's not a lot of developers that, you know, like, I don't have a lot of confidence that Ubisoft would do something like that with their games, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, and then, and then, even more so. Most importantly, it provided me two really important clips to make my really dumb video when they released that Share Factory thing. So, I still need to find some time and make a video out of all my terrible Watchdogs clips where I'm just brutalizing people. Yeah, yeah. I showed you one of those. Yeah, yeah, you did. Where yeah. it, like glitched out and that person just wouldn't die, so you just tried to come up with the most heinous ways to like assault that person. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in any case. So that would be both of our number two recommendations. Sean, you got number three? Yeah, I think off the top of my head, like, this is a weird choice, but it's the only game I can really think of that it's like Luft Rousers from on the Vita. Oh, okay. With that game that I think I talked about it, like, in passing a couple of times on the podcast, but it's a game that I have continued to play as since it came out, and it's not, like, a kind of game that I usually get into, but if, if you don't remember when I talked about it before, you don't know what Luft Rousers is. It's, it, it's this very arcadey game that I think it's on the PC as well, that I have it on the Vita, and you play as this sort of airplane in this sort of like vaguely World War II-ish alternate sort of World War II setting. Alternate World War II is a big thing this year. And <laughs> you uh, sort of... Sh- and it's you load into the game. Each time you like play a session of the game, it's basically three minutes until you die. You play until you die. And it's really brutally difficult, but you fly around. And the control of the game is what makes it so much fun to play, is that it's basically you can thrust in whatever direction the plane is facing... And so the plane moves in that direction, and it's all about this momentum. And the plane, like, very, like, sort of gracefully dances across the screen if you're playing it well. And so you sort of, like, boost in one direction and gain momentum in that direction and can spin the plane around while it's moving that way in midair and fire your weapon to try to destroy other enemy planes and rack up this, your score modifier and get your score as high as it can by destroying a lot of enemy planes in quick succession to get these, like, multipliers and stuff. And it's just this... It, just playing the game is so mechanically gratifying and then on top of that you unlock all these different plane parts that completely change the way you play the game that like all the, like different weapons and adding different engines and body types that make it so it's like oh if you ram into a pl- enemy plane wearing the, the blade body type or whatever it's called you don't take any damage means that like you, you can go you can play an entire session without shooting the gun at all and just try to ram into planes, planes as quickly as possible using that and like the fastest en- the fastest engine it is so much fun to play and again i never go in for these score type games because i'm usually so focused on playing a game that either has a really good story or at least has a story that like motivates me to play it it's one of the reasons why I don't like platformers that much is because the stories are always just like nothing so I don't feel motivated to really engage with the game but Left Rousers is so so well made and is so much fun to just play that the motivation is for me is just playing the game and since I have it on the Vita it's something that I still like if I'm just kind of bored and I have to be somewhere in like 10 minutes 
I'll just like sit on my couch and like, well, fuck it. I have my Vita right here and I'll just play a session of Love Drowser. So I put huge amounts of time into that game without expecting it. So that's my number three. And I bought Love Drowsers on a recent PSN sale when it was like a buck. Mm-hmm. And I tried playing it and I haven't quite figured it out yet. I haven't... It, it's got a pretty steep learning curve because it, it is really hard and it's you have to yeah. get used to you have to get used to how it plays. Yeah, I just have to... You, you have to use the D-pad because for the okay. first while I was trying to use my analog stick to move the plane. That's one of my that's, questions. It's really okay. fascinating because it's the control is really weird because it's almost like kind of tank controls where pushing up on the D-pad just makes the plane go forward and then pushing left and right sh- like shifts the plane. So it's not like it's not like a twin stick shooter where you you push the, the, the analog stick and the guy like up and the guy just moves up on the screen. That's not how it works. So that's good to know. I had n- there's no explanation. Yeah, there's the no itself. real tutorial. Yeah. So yeah. You have to just kind of experiment with it until you sort of get into the flow of how you're supposed to play the game. I was definitely struck by the art style and stuff yeah, like that. The art style is really great and the music it's yeah. really good too alright well I will give it more of a try it sounds yeah. very interesting and it's also on PS3 it's a cross buy title oh, yeah. okay. so if you don't have a Vita and you have a PS3 you can play it that way too um, so let's see what would my number 3 be I've been thinking about this the entire length of this session because yeah. there are several games on here I would love to put in for this recommend spot and I guess I guess the paradigm I'm going to go with in terms of, of what I'm going to choose here is the game I've spent the most time with out of these runner ups <laughs> yeah sure um, that's going to be Titanfall Oh, okay, yeah. On the Xbox 360 is what I played it on, but it's also on the Xbox One and on the PC. And, you know, I, I'm a little curious about Titanfall at the moment because since the DLC came out, the, the latest map pack, the only map pack so far, yeah. on the 360, at least for me, it's really split the multiplayer lobbies and it's slowed down matchmaking and it's made playing the game really hard and taken away what was one of the absolute greatest strengths of this game, which is that it had the smoothest online matchmaking I had ever seen in a, in a first-person shooter. Certainly a, a shooter I've played on the Xbox 360, and I've played a lot of them. It, you know, it would just be, you would get into a match, you would stop, 90 seconds, you're in another match, stop, you know, 90 seconds, yeah. you're in a match. It was so fluid and so fast and just so well done, and, and now it's not really working like that. I haven't been back to it in a couple of weeks. Maybe they've worked out some of those kinks. I'm not sure. Maybe there's just been attrition. Maybe the DLC just split the fan the user base too much. I don't know. But I do know that for the two or three months where I played Titanfall a lot, this is just one of the best, if not the best, online multiplayer first-person shooter suites I've ever played. I was kind of skeptical going in wondering... Do I really want to play a game that's multiplayer only? Wouldn't I rather have something where there's a campaign and multiplayer? Does this, you know, why are they doing it like this? And you play it for, you know, two or three rounds and you just get immediately why Respawn Entertainment chose to make this a multiplayer only game and and how much that is what the game is. And they just recognized this is not a gameplay style and a, a game world that would work in a single player campaign kind of thing. It needs that dynamic multiplayer real person you know you're playing with aspect to it to really function and I think that just the kind of sandbox of chaos they've made and on all the multiplayer matches you've played are just so fucking fun and awe-inspiring I mean getting into Titan for the first time really is one of those magical gaming moments but the crazy thing is it's always one of those magical gaming moments every time you get in and, and not just when you get in but every time other people you know drop a titan in and you're on the ground and you've got your anti-titan weapon and you're you know holed up in a shack and you're shooting out the window trying to get this thing down and you feel like you're in the middle of a Transformers movie but so much better than anything Michael Bay could ever make mm-hmm. 
it's just so fun and it's just such this thrill and this rush and there's also because there are all these other elements on top of the traditional first person shooter elements where you have the parkour and you have the titans and you have the anti-titan weapon and you have the burn cards and things like that even a normal game of attrition which is like deathmatch or slayer that has so much more strategy baked into it than just a slayer or deathmatch game and then when you get into capture the flag and you know domination and which is called hardpoint in this game which is the like territories kind of game i don't usually like territories in other game types i never really liked it in halo i kind of liked it in call of duty but call of duty i've never really liked as a game uh for multiplayer and yet in titanfall that's usually what i play is i just go in and do their their hardpoint it's so fun and there's just so much kind of strategy and thought built in and baked into it um and on top of it just the scale of it is so massive even on the 360 it runs so smoothly and you get just this great sense of scale in everything you're doing the sound design is fucking phenomenal and it's just you get in there and it's just an immersive world and you just like it's just so much fun to play and i like kicking back with it at the end of a day and you know um at some point i'm gonna have to buy an actual xbox live subscription to keep playing it because all of my titanfall playing has been done off of two-day free trial cards because i had a huge stack of those collected from my lifetime of xbox 360 playing they're all gone now yeah but yes um Really, really good game. If you have an Xbox One, obviously this is the game you should own. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I kind of... This is the other reason I went with this is my one, two, three, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft. There's kind of a purity to that. Sure. So one from each. Um, but yeah, if you have a 360, it's also absolutely worth playing. You're not getting a diminished experience. It's, you know, the graphics aren't as good, I guess, but it, it plays perfectly. And since I like the 360 controller substantially more than the Xbox One controller, there's that, too. Um so yeah, Titanfall would definitely be a recommendation. Um, so yeah, Bravely Default, Infamous, Second Son, and Titanfall would be my three. And I want to say just like you know, anecdotally, also like to your point about like the multiplayer population that I've heard the PC has a similar issue. Okay. So like if someone listening to this podcast is interested in getting the Titanfall Titanfall on the PC, I would look into that because I'm not entirely aware of what it is. Yeah, I, I hear stuff like that all the time. So, and it's I just and I don't know how to judge the game at that point because yeah. I did have all this fun with it, and it's such a it is a good game no matter what. Mm. Um, I just don't. But know. it's but like a game that only has multiplayer, right? It needs to have a thriving multiplayer community, or the game might as well not exist at some point. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if you know, if I got to play those three games this year, this has been a good year for gaming for me so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I had lots of others I had to choose from. Not all of these on my list are games I loved or even liked, but I kind of just put everything I have played together so far, and a lot of good experiences. Like just something like uh, Hearthstone, which yeah, kind of Hearthstone launched, was also something I was thinking about. It launched in its kind of final form yeah. this year, and you know, it's just it's not going to be on par with those other games in terms of the overall whole experience. But just as this is fun, collectible online yeah. card game. It's free. You should all play it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, just, all the, just, like, I still load that up and, like, just do a match every now and then. It's, yeah. It's just, it's a fun, it's just a really well-designed collectible card game that you can play for free on your computer, so. Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason not to try it. All right, so, Sean, let's yes. do movies. Okay. I don't think you have three to fill here. If you want to try to fill three, you can. It's Captain America 2, Godzilla, and, uh... Well, don't spoil it. Well, if you just want me to do three, I'll just do okay. three. Captain America 2, Godzilla... And I'll probably say X-Men. Okay. So your number one is Captain America 2. Tell us why. Because yes. yes. none of these are on my list, so you might as well okay. talk about it. because Captain America 2 is fucking awesome. It, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're if you're watching the Marvel movies, you will probably go see it anyways. But it is one of, if not the best of the Marvel movies. I would probably say it's the best. The action is incredible. So creative. So well done. Has so much weight to it. 
and then also it, it's a really good Captain America story that pushes the character forward like has some interesting things to do with the character and sort of like setting him in a modern American political setting and it's it just continues this trend of the Marvel movies is getting better and better and better and you know I, I'm a huge comic book guy so yeah fuck yeah Captain America it's a great movie I, I, I took my brother to see it about a month ago so I saw it a second time and it, it's every bit as good a second time like sometimes you wonder that with a movie like this where the rush of seeing it is just yeah. so intense you wonder am I going to be able to recapture that absolutely in some ways it even gets better when you just see how what a good story they put together and how tight the themes are it's, it's a great Hollywood blockbuster yeah absolutely alright my number one film of the year so far is is one that would be I feel like divisive for a lot of people um, not everyone's going to love this movie but this would be Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin starring Scarlett Johansson uh, I believe it came out back in April it was playing at festivals the year before like I think it premiered at Venice and then festivals like mm-hmm. that but it had its official theatrical release this year it comes out on Blu-ray July 15th um, and I, I don't even know what I would say about recommending it it's just this is the best movie I've seen this year it is basically an avant-garde film it is it's it's kind of got a story but kind of not it's Scarlett Johansson plays and even saying this kind of counts as a spoiler but I have to say something about the movie sure yeah. um, Scarlett Johansson kind of plays this what might be an alien visitor who is kind of going around uh, she's in London um, not London she's in England I say I just see England and I assume it's London it's just England sure yeah it's it's northern England because it's near Scotland yeah so it's not London at all no it's not London at all I've, <laughs> I've never been to England I know very little about England I'm sorry but yes it's Scarlett Johansson she's kind of she's she's just kind of cruising around basically prowling on on young lonely men uh, kind of the way Scarlett them. Johansson does <laughs> I don't know that would be interesting if she spent her time like that but yes kind of seducing them taking them back to her mysterious place and things happen to them I will not spoil what happens but that's kind of the setup of the movie for a while and really that's just an excuse to see this this what might be what might not be an alien you really never know um, it might just be what Scarlett Johansson does on her free time who knows but this you know non-human creature kind of in a human skin how do they absorb the world how would human customs and things look like to them as they just observe them but it's a very smart and subtle version of that it's not like what is this food you're eating? I yeah. cannot believe this. There's very little dialogue in the movie, in fact. It's just kind of this observation. And then the second half of the movie, she abandons her mission. She has this kind of existential crisis, is trying to discover things about her body, and runs off to... It is, this is Scotland, because everyone is Scottish at this point in the movie. And, um, and uh, is, it's just kind of... if the movie was said, like, New Jersey, and you just had, like, everything wrong. <laughs> yes, that would, be, that would be all on me. I understand I could be getting this wrong. But, uh, yes, yeah, so it's... And she's just kind of exploring um, her body and things like sexuality and eating and things like that. And it's it's fascinating. I think it's... it's and, and the theme... Kind of how I picked my top three for movies is that they all collectively have the best cinematography, music, and basically just production design things of the year. And this is one of the commonalities these movies all have, I feel like. And Under the Skin absolutely has the most haunting, interesting cinematography I've seen this year and probably in a couple of years. The cinematography is... Unbelievable! There are some images in this movie that will always be seared into my brain. I can think about right now, and I just can see that image in every detail. There's a lot of those like that. It's absolutely haunting. Um, the second time I saw the movie, I kind of, at the moment it ended, I had to kind of had to just get up and run out of the theater because I was so uncomfortable just being with the movie for that long because it really gets under your skin. I did not mean Fuck to make you. that pun. I did not mean to make that pun. You but should I have avoided that pun at all costs. costs. Okay, I really should have. 
I'm sorry, but it's and it's it's a movie that works on so many levels. It's about uh, so many very very big ideas, but in a very subtle and and provocative fashion. I wound up. I had a final paper due in a film class at the time. I saw this movie, and we had to basically we could basically choose whatever you know movie or work of art we wanted to talk about. And I saw the movie. So you obviously picked Transformers too. <laughs> no, I I saw this film in theaters the week I was basically going to write the paper, and I was like, I'm going to write about this movie, even though it's kind of hard to do a full analytical essay. On a movie that is in theaters, and I cannot yeah, take you the can't d- just like watch the DVD, and right. stop scenes, and stuff. yeah. So I had to go. I went to see it twice for this purpose, and just was remembering it, you know, mentally. But it's all there when you see it because it leaves such an impression. Um, and writing about it and getting into it in a really deep fashion only made it better for me. So that's definitely would be where I would go for for my number one recommendation. That's but again, good. it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah, know that it is very slow and quiet. And when I say avant garde. It's not avant-garde in the way, you know, a, um, oh, what's the name of the, I don't, it's, it's not avant-garde the way an actual, like, you know, an avant-garde short or something like a Kenneth Anger movie is going to be, but it is non-narrative, it's very visual and, you know, expressionistic and, and aesthetic in style, um, but it's, it's really phenomenal, so. Does any point in that movie does Scarlett Johansson get in a fight with a dude with a robot arm? No. I think my Scarlett Johansson movie wins. Okay, that's true. She has been in a lot of good movies this year. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm interested to see that movie she's in, Lucy, just because she's in it. Fuck the, it no, fuck that movie because that movie the does trailer the of the movie it does the fucking thing. It spreads this stupid fucking lie that people believe that human beings only use ten percent of their brain. It's fucking bullshit. Of course, it's and bullshit. It would be fine. It would be fine if the movie had that stupid premise. If like. Most of the human population, at least in America, didn't believe that shit was fucking true. Like, yeah. I hear, like, mothers say that to, like, the children. It's like, no! Stop! You're telling everyone lies! It's stupid, but in any case... The Scarlet... movie is doing the world a disservice, even if it's I know. probably going to be okay. I don't know. It's... Scarlett Johansson is cool. That idea is not. Yeah. Let's go with that. So... And you know what the worst part is in the trailer? Fucking Morgan Freeman says it! So you, know... you made Morgan Freeman lie to me! Like, why do you do that? God. All right. Sean, what be your number two? Godzilla. Okay. Why? Because it's cool. Why didn't you fucking... Ex- I thought I said enough. Godzilla. All right. My number two would be Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. Came back out back in March. Is still playing in art house theaters everywhere, even though it's already out on Blu-ray. Um, it's a Wes Anderson movie. It's like art house theaters are like obligated to do that, right? They, he make they make a lot of money yeah. in the art house. Yeah, I mean the 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 Esquire in Denver had been showing it solidly the, since the day it came out, and then the Esquire had new movies to show, so they just moved it to the Mayan, and now they're showing it solidly, yeah. which is crazy. But you want to see it in theaters if you haven't seen it. So definitely, you know, don't just go get the Blu-ray. This is a theatrical experience. It is a phenomenal movie. I don't think it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but I qualitatively it's on par with everything he's made, and maybe it is even of a higher... It, maybe it's a leap beyond stuff he's done before, because I think in terms of the ideas and themes it presents and the complexity of its narrative, but the way it does not feel complex, it feels so effortless and fun while having all this, you know, I think dramatic and thematic weight to it. It's phenomenal. It's got probably the best performance of the year so far in Ray Fiennes as uh, Mr. Gustav, the uh, protagonist of the film, and, you know, everyone knows Ray Fiennes is awesome. 
he is super awesome in this movie. He's just, it's such a phenomenal, finely detailed performance. And then there's so many other good performances in the movie. Just every actor who's ever been in a Wes Anderson movie shows up at some point in this film and they have something interesting to do. And it has the most interesting production design you will see all year. And it has some of the best cinematography. I, I think Under the Skin has individual images that are even more powerful to me. But in terms of just the crafting of every frame, Grand Budapest Hotel is as immaculate as it gets. And he shot this in the old Academy aspect ratio of 1.33 to 1. And no one shoots movies like that anymore, even though they should. Because I think it is most of the time a better aspect ratio than widescreen, which people use without knowing how the fuck you use that. Um, Michael Bay does that. So, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, you've probably seen it. If you haven't, it's so freaking good. And it's, it's, I think it means a lot. It has a huge emotional impact, but it's also just, it's as fun as a movie gets to me. So, that would be my number two. Okay. What's your number three, Sean? I was in the next Days of Future Past. Probably, okay. like, maybe Edge of Tomorrow. I don't know. Okay. They're probably about the same level for me. So Okay. What's your favorite thing about X-Men Days of Future Past? Um, probably Magneto. Or okay. that Quicksilver scene. Is, that Quicksilver scene is really good. It's a fun scene. It's really, it's really well done. Yes. I want, I want more X-Men musical montages, basically. Yeah. So yeah. that was a good use of music. All right. My number three would be How to Train Your Dragon 2. And before I talk about the movie itself, I'm going to defend the title. Okay. Because... I, was, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't attack the title okay. much. But okay. okay, your argument is that because they already trained their dragons, the sequel shouldn't be called that. Yeah, unless they are training their dragon also in the like they could if they're training another dragon, then that's fine. Yes, because the movie is part of the conflict is it's about how people train their dragons, and it's that Hiccup, the protagonist of the film, and the the bad the guy. Protagonist of the film's named Hiccup. All the names are silly. It's one of the strengths of this series that you don't notice it. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. I actually, that is a point I wanted to make. Okay. Um, but anyway, the protagonist, Hiccup, he's the dragon trainer. He's really good at it. He And he does it in a way where dragons and humans live in peace. But the villain of the film is this guy named uh, Drago Bloodvist. And, or that's, Bloodvist. A, that's a great name. Yeah. And he is, he's, he's a cool villain. But he is, you know, very you know, domineering and... and he, he has dragons, but he treats them terribly, and he makes them do evil things. And it's about this ideological conflict between them, but there's also the conflict between Hiccup and his mother, who he meets in the film, who trains dragons in a way is similar mother, to... Is his mother named Burp? No, <laughs> there's, an, there's a character named Belch. His mother is okay, named... Great. I forget what his mother is named. They say her name, like, once in the whole film. Um, not that she's a small character, but, yeah. In any case... Uh, you know, there's there's not a conflict between them, but she has her own methods, which is kind of she's isolationist. So there's a lot of ideas going on here, and honestly, the characters are still learning how to train their dragons because there's this whole thing between Hiccup and his dragon Toothless. Again, the names are stupid, but does this dragon not have teeth? It has teeth, but when he met the dragon, he didn't think it has, had teeth because they're retractable, and he, the dragon was hiding. Oh, them. okay, yeah. I thought it was because the dragon was a baby dragon when he met it, and the kid was just a fucking idiot and didn't know that babies <laughs> grow teeth. No, that's not it. So anyway, they're all still kind of learning how this new relationship between the dragons and the Vikings works. So How to Train Your Dragon still applies. It's not like another sequel this year that was definitely in contention for this list, The Raid 2. Great sequel, but it's not at all about a raid. The Raid 1 was about a raid. The Raid 2 is not. I agree. That's a stupid title. Okay, so then, because again, I've never fucking seen the movie, so I retract all my criticism of the title of How to Train Your Dragon 2. I am very gratified to know... That they did not fuck up that title because okay. that, that annoys me when they do. And you know what? I'm and now fuck you, Raid Two. If you're gonna <laughs> fucking if you're gonna say that your name is the Raid, you should have a fucking Raid in it. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, so let's go on. Um, I 
it, I have a weird relationship with these How to Train Your Dragon movies because I saw the first one. It just I don't know what to say other than it didn't make an impression. I didn't think about it. I wrote very little about it, and I just didn't think about it for the next four years. The sequel came out, was even more acclaimed than the first one, and I was like, well, I've got to check it out. I, I do this. I should. And I really it. don't know how to train a dragon yet, so I should probably, yeah. you know, yes. I should at least educate myself. And I watched How to Train Your Dragon 2, and, and here's the thing. This film is what I have been asking American animated movies to be my entire critical career. For the last 10 years, I've been going through some of my review archives for another project I'm doing, and the, the amount I have written about how I hate so many American animated films because they are just pop culture jukeboxes. Sure, And yeah. they disrespect children by giving really stupid stories and not any development of characters or ideas. And how they just turn out the most lazy, boring sequel, you know, shit. Like the Ice Age sequels and the Shrek sequels. Madagascar. And Madagascar sequels. And they just get shittier and shittier. And I think that... I think children deserve better than that. I think it is super exploitative when you're, you know, you're just saying, we know parents will pay for anything, so we're not going to fucking bother. So we're going to make an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Yes. And you can lump those in. And sequel to that one. Yes. And then a third one called Chipwrecked. And you're going to make a fucking live action slash animated Smurfs movie? And two of them. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And dragged Neil Patrick Harris down to that yeah. level, too. He was cool once upon a time. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. So... It's a problem in American cinema. And How to Train Your Dragon 2 is everything I would want the genre to be. It is unbelievably beautiful. I, I did not think before I saw this movie that digital productions really had cinematography. Gravity had me coming around on that, and I think its best cinematography Oscar was well-earned. Um, but honestly, I would put How to Train Your Dragon 2 in that field, even though there is no physical camera in this. Mm-hmm. There, there is the idea of a camera, well, yeah, and, I mean, and it matters to, so you much. You have to figure out how to frame yeah. a shot. I mean, like, comic books basically have cinematography in a very weird way. Yeah, but I think a lot of animation doesn't utilize that. Yeah, they don't, I mean? like, a lot of times they don't necessarily think about it that way. Yeah, and it's, it, I don't think it was as much of a problem when we were doing hand-drawn animation, because that's not so much an issue of framing as much as it is, it's just, it's a different kind of visual style, and we don't think of it the same way we think of cinematography. But 3D animation, we should. And How to Train Your Dragon 2 is just one of the best shot movies I've seen this year or, or any year. It's, it's a beautiful exercise in framing and in, in how to move your camera and everything. And, uh, you know, they, they move the camera in ways you never could in live action, but to great effect. And the animation is just gorgeous. It's this one and the original How to Train Your Dragon are the closest I think CGI has ever come to matching like a Studio Ghibli movie. There are shots in this that have the same awe factor for me as mm-hmm. watching a Hayao Miyazaki film where there's flying. And you just, you're like, oh my god, Hayao Miyazaki, you must have spent five years animating that panel. Yeah. And it's, it's the same kind of thing in these movies. But How to Drain Your Dragon 2 also has this really, really smart story. And it's a sequel, and this is just true for sequels in general. And not just for, for animated sequels. Where the story is its own story. It's not yeah. setting up anything else. It's not, you know, just rehashing things from the first film. It is its own story. It picks up. Um, with all the stuff that happened in the first movie honored, and then it goes beyond that, and by the end, the status quo has changed utterly, and things are in a different position, but it's not in the different position of, you know, it's a giant cliffhanger. It's yeah. we had a story, and the characters moved forward, and if this was it, it would be satisfying, but I want to see more because they've done such a good job with these characters. So it's got all of that. It's got the biggest scale I've ever seen in a CGI film. Some of, There's a battle sequence in the middle of this movie that is just jaw-dropping and was even more so the second time I saw it which rarely happens Um, its emotional impact is vast and basically I saw this movie and I was like how 
did I was How to Train Your Dragon one really subpar, or was I just having an off day when I watched it? So I went and got the Blu-ray of that movie, watched it. I had an off day because yeah. How to Train Your Dragon one is maybe even better than the sequel. I they're they're kind of equal movies, and it's just as good. So you want to go apologize to all the people who were like How to Train Your Dragon is awesome? And you're like, what you people? Are, what the fuck? Are you what movie did you people see? I never did that. They I just. Did. I just I didn't hate it by any means or even dislike it. It just you were, didn't you, I remember you being really baffled and, and sort of like frustrated okay. with the critical reception that it got. Well, then I do I do want to apologize for that because it's honestly I think How to Train Your Dragon one and two are the best CGI films that have ever been made. I that no that is a huge reversal of opinion. I can't wait until you play Grand Theft Auto five like super HD version. And you're like this is the best game ever. No, made. I just I mean here's the thing. It's only competition are Pixar movies, mm-hmm. and I think you know I like the Pixar movies a lot. I don't think they have, in a lot of cases, the same level of character and narrative depth that these movies have, especially over sequels. I mean, Toy Story is a really different thing because it's just got a different sequel style. They're not fantasy epics. Mm-hmm. How to Train Your Dragon Two is more in my wheelhouse. I like this kind of story. Yeah. Um, but just for me, this is as good as it gets. And and the first one is that's true of the second one is better in some ways it has they they each have their own strengths that the other one doesn't have but that's a good mark of a series is that one movie does something different than the other but you know and, and I think one of the most important things to note here because this is also a trend in Hollywood and blockbuster and, and animated filmmaking that drives me fucking crazy is where you have heroes who don't earn what they get that's the problem yeah, like with kingdoms. It's the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, making oh, yeah. yeah, making Peter Parker the one true Spider-Man who never has to work for fucking anything. He's never allowed to make a mistake. Yeah, and you know, bad things and good things happen to them, but whatever, he's removed from it. That's a really common thing in movies these days. Yeah. I feel like you see that a lot, and it's it's part of this trend of we're bringing back this you know the destined character. You know, I I really love Harry Potter, but I think one of the weaknesses of that series sometimes it's more prevalent in the movies than it is in the books. But you, they don't always make it clear what Harry's heroism is if it's there at all, because it it's, is this it, based yeah, it's around this destiny. Weird thing that's like his scar, and it's like, oh, he's yeah. the boy who lived. Or and they shit. Yeah. they play that up so much more in the movie. Yeah. That the books do a better job showing that. But it is whenever you have that, it's a problem. The thing about Hiccup in these movies is that he starts out as someone who hasn't just been given things, and he earns the praise and the you know the love of, of his tribe that he gets by being heroic in an actual way and making an effort and I think especially for children's movies right now that is so important because no yeah. one else no one else is doing that mm-hmm. and and I think it's it's really crucial and and so I this is to me the best um, big Hollywood film this so far this year um, I think this is probably the most exciting franchise in Hollywood for me right now animated or live action whatever. Um, and I say that over stuff that I really love, like Captain America and the Marvel movies even. These films just, they're working at such a high level, so I wanted it to be on this list. And, and more than anything else, it is still in theaters. Not a lot of people are going to see it, but you could choose to see this instead of Transformers. Especially if you have kids. For God's sakes, don't take them to Transformers. Yeah. I don't, don't. Apparently a lot of parents do that. That's terrible parenting. Take them to How to Train yeah. Your Dragon 2. Why would, you, why would you expose anything to... Like, you shouldn't take your fucking dog to Transformers 4, <laughs> let alone your kid. Yeah, but it's happening. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to, take them to, to, to How to Train Your Dragon 2. It's, it's as good as it gets. Okay. So those are my three. All right. All right. And your three were the three movies you've seen. Yeah, basically. Because I kind of put a tie at number three for the other one that I saw that I liked. Yeah. So. Do we want to... <laughs> 
Do we want to say what our what the worst film of the year is so far? Everyone knows. Let's not, <laughs> I know. Even, let's not even speak no, it. We should again. not. It's its name is now forbidden. All right. Um, I'm going to do TV really fast. Okay. You you haven't seen any new TV shows this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> yeah. It's it's an interesting thing. People watch TV in so many different ways. Yeah. You kind of you're more on the the mode of like you don't have just cable or satellite or anything. Nope. It's just yeah. I, I wait till it comes out on Netflix and then I marathon it. That's my okay. rule. I've broken that rule times and it has hurt me. Yes. I've never again. Okay. It's why you're never going to finish Lost. Yeah, I'm never. It? Yeah, I'm definitely. I will. I I've made a commitment. I will one day fucking watch the last season of Breaking Bad because it is on, it is on Netflix. I just don't have the time. Breaking Bad is also an exception because it's at that level of yeah. Like, exactly. It's like I really want to watch. Like with Lost, I kind of did don't really care that much about the last season, but I would have. It would have been nice to have seen it just to have a bit of closure because like yeah. I, I kind of know how it ends, but I fucking can't remember ever. Uh, they're all dead and go to heaven. Yeah. I, mean, I remember that, everyone hated it, and then we kind of like, I, whatever. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Um, my three TV shows. This is this is a pretty easy. These fall into place so easily, and this was the heart. And in some ways, I'm leaving off the best stuff because I could make a TV top ten list at this point in the year, and it would be competitive and a really good top ten in terms of there's ten fantastic shows on it. Um, but these three were just above the rest for me. And uh, the number one would be for me, True Detective on HBO. This is a show you would like, Sean. I yeah. feel like I'm sure um, all three of these are going to be shows I like because I, I I think I know all three of the shows you're going to say but okay so we will see um, True Detective it stars Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson um, it's written by Nick Pizzolatto and directed by Kerry Fukunaga all eight episodes it's it's like an eight eight hour movie really um, and there's so many things I could say about it I think I'll just say I got to the end of these eight episodes of True Detective and I was so fucking emotionally overwhelmed by it that there's just no question for me this had the biggest impact on, on me of any TV show I've watched this year and honestly probably of any if I included movies and games in it this is the best thing I've like experienced this year in mm. terms of a narrative thing Matthew McConaughey easily the best performance he's ever given far and away and I like Matthew McConaughey as an actor especially as of late he's given a lot of really great performances but this is one of my favorite TV fictional characters ever. He's fantastic in this. I find I relate to this character more than I do a lot of characters on TV. His kind of nihilistic, pessimistic philosophy doesn't get voiced enough, damn it. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. He's a great character. Um, but Woody Harrelson is every bit his equal, and he's giving the best performance he's ever given. And they're both just so good. And the thing is, you see, you watch you know, the first episode of True Detective and you get why Matthew McConaughey is going to win every award on the planet for this show because he's that good. But you don't get it immediately with Woody Harrelson and the great thing about his character is that over the eight episodes, as they peel back the layers on him, oh man, it just it gets more and more fascinating and engaging and that character is a character I don't think you see on TV a lot, which is that he's has... He's bad, and they confront the ways in which he is bad, and by doing that, they kind of show you the ways in which he is good. And it's just, there's this balance that's just fascinating to me about that. But their relationship is really amazing. It's a show that is about these two characters to the detriment of absolutely all else. There are no other interesting characters on the show, but there don't need to be. It's eight yeah, hours, sure. it's yeah. two characters, it's two great performances, two all-time great TV performances. That's plenty, and that's what the show is about. It also has a mystery, obviously, but it is more about the characters. If you're going into it to try to you know watch an absolutely like airtight fascinating whodunit mystery that's just not what it's trying to be I do think it's a very well written mystery and I think just going through you watch them do the detective work and that's fascinating and you see all the steps in the process but this, this, the process is more about what it means to these people as characters and I think as a character piece it is so fucking just flawless 
and I think the last scene of the series is what if if you got me up to the last like before the last ten minutes of the series, I probably would have had this lower on the list. Those last ten minutes, they're like the end of Persona Three. Hmm. It's yeah. just so hard hitting in terms of how they choose to to the coda they choose so for these two Woody characters. Is Woody Harrelson's character actually a robot girl? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I I am going to like this show. Yes. No, but it. Man, I just the, the the conversation they have in the last scene. It's so perfect. It meant so much to me watching this. Um, absolutely, the the best thing I've seen on TV this year, or my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, but True Detective is the kind of thing that you know. It's a new show. It's original. You would kind of with that pedigree, you would expect it to be great in some ways. The number number two show. This was an unexpected <laughs> success. This is Fargo on mm-hmm. FX, the miniseries. Um, who who the fuck thought of this? It's I don't know. It's it's you're taking one of definitely I think the most acclaimed Coen Brothers film um, in terms of overall universal acclaim and recognition. Sure, yeah. And this is you know we're talking about two of the most distinctive idiosyncratic filmmakers on the planet, one of their best films, and you're going to make a ten episode miniseries that is in that style and voice, but it's not the story, but kind of has connections to the yeah. story of the movie, but kind of doesn't, and it's its own characters, and it's just such a weird idea, and yet it works. Um, so phenomenally well the the writer of this show uh, Noah Hawley who like Nick Pizzolatto on True Detective wrote the whole thing Fargo's ten episodes it was directed by multiple directors but it's got that same great visual style and atmosphere and everything um, it's just it's it's an amazing achievement because it manages to definitely feel like it is in the Coen Brothers verse like it has that yeah. voice and style but it's its own thing this is a this is Noah Hawley's as much as it is the Coen Brothers and it had to be to work mm-hmm. um so it's got its own set of characters that are great, and they all start out from kind of the archetypes the Coen brothers were exploring, but they go in such vastly different directions. I think this is the best work Martin Freeman has ever done, and I love Martin Freeman. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. He's phenomenal in this. He has a, a, a scene uh, in like the third to last episode or so that is Brian Cranston on Breaking Bad levels, good and haunting and terrifying and funny. It's, he's just amazing in this. But, you know, Alison Tolman as the protagonist of the show, Detective Molly Salverson, that sounds like a Coen Brothers name. That's yeah. great. She is so good in this, and she was a complete unknown, had never been in a TV show, I think, before, and she is a great lead, and I can't wait to see her in more stuff. And Billy Bob Thornton, this is my favorite performance of his, and I love Billy Bob Thornton. Mm-hmm. He is just kind of this terrifying, funny sociopath in this show, um, but it's more than that. And... I think the the ethical issues and and human, you know, humanistic issues the show explores are so fascinating in terms of, you know, what is evil, what is masculinity, how do these things relate? Are you know what is the animalistic side of humanity? These are all things that are at work under here. What what is the dark side of the you know American Midwest suburb and the, mm-hmm. those kind of small towns and what is lurking underneath? This is all at work here, just as it was in the movie. I think ultimately, both the movie and the TV show, as Warren Littlefield, the producer of both, said, they are about contrasting the worst of humanity with the best of humanity, and the TV show does that too, but because the TV show has ten hours to play with it, I like the TV show even more than the movie. Hmm. And that's not easy for a TV yeah. show to be better than Fargo, the movie. Because yeah. Fargo, the movie, is kind of one of the great movies. Yeah. At least of the, you know, American 1990s. And, yeah, the show is just... Every inch it's equal, if not greater. And um, it's it's also, it's fun. You know, True Detective is very dark. You're not going to watch True Detective to laugh. Sure. Fargo is dark in a lot of ways. It's also very funny and very creative and, again, idiosyncratic in the way you would expect of a Coen Brothers project, but with its own voice. Absolutely worth watching. And the great thing about True Detective and Fargo is that they are 
true miniseries. There's just going to be... I mean, True Detective is going to have more seasons, but with a different cast and story and everything. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more of an anthology show. But it's its own thing. There's eight episodes for True Detective, ten for Fargo, and you're done. And they really get to tell a full story because of that. Nice. So, yeah. Um, and let's see. So my number... Th- they're finally figuring... They're coming around to my side, goddammit. Yes. They're finally figuring it out. Well, I mean, Making it's... TV shows I can watch. <laughs> but I think this is a great use of the TV format yeah. that we're finally starting to see is that it can just be kind of a longer movie, but in this kind of serialized format. You can do that, and it doesn't have to run 100 episodes exactly, to be valid. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. most TV shows, they just run out of steam so quickly. You know? Oh, yeah. They're just not built for that. I think it's pretty... Ri- and, you know... Anyway, it's it's an interesting issue, but yeah. I'm going to move on. So my number three for this year, it's the only kind of returning show on this list instead of new, and that's NBC's Hannibal. Um, the second season of Han- the first season of Hannibal, which aired last year, was this also a very big surprise because Hannibal Lecter had not been interesting since The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the movie, I should say. And that casts such a large shadow, the Anthony Hopkins performance, that, you know, is anyone going to be able to top that? Is, you know, what kind of stories are we going to tell? And Brian Fuller took basically just, he started extrapolating from these little bits of information in the book Red Dragon, which is this great book. But, you know, you wouldn't think you could get a TV series out of it. And it's this pseudo-prequel built off the ideas of Brian Fuller's books and the kind of... Not Brian Fuller didn't write the books. Sorry, but um, based off the books. And they're they're building off those ideas and themes and imagery from the books, but doing its own thing. And season one of Hannibal quickly distinguished itself, I think, as the most visually interesting show on TV, the most graphically violent show on TV, including Cable, um, the most, I think, in many ways provocative on a sort of moral human level in terms of the things it has to explore about evil and psychosis and murder and, and sin and all these ideas. It's it's fascinating, but it was also just so entertaining. It's got great acting from Hugh Dancy as Will Graham and um, Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter. I, he's, I think he's even more interesting than the Anthony Hopkins incarnation. Certainly more terrifying, because Anthony Hopkins is kind of a cartoon character. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just sure, he has this yeah. heightened... Yeah. And then I think Lawrence Fishburne also as... Um, Jack Crawford, great performance there too. Um, but and so season one of Hannibal was great on that level, and then it somehow took a leap beyond that in season two, where it became even more strange and dreamlike and esoteric, and honestly, in some weeks, just just flat out avant garde. It's its own. It's on its own wavelength. It's not interesting in narrative coherency. It's just doing its own strange, crazy, disturbing thing, and it's fascinating for that. And um, and season two has this very distinct like two half structure. The first half is probably better from a plot standpoint. The second half, though, is just scarier and weirder, and ultimately builds to this immense emotional punch. I think the best episode of TV I've seen this year is probably the Hannibal finale. It is the most violent, terrifying thing you'll see on TV. Even again, even on cable, I don't know how this airs on NBC. I don't mm-hmm. know how this gets past standards and practices. It's incredibly violent, but it is very, very good. And, you know, I would put this over returning shows like Mad Men, which had a phenomenal season, I think. And um, even so over some new shows I saw, there's like, you know, Comedy Central's Review is a really fascinating little comedy that's, that's really fun and creative. But Hannibal um, really stood above all of this. And before Fargo and, and True Detective aired, I didn't think anything could top Hannibal. I don't know if, I don't know how to say top. These three shows are so close for me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, those would definitely be my top three. So, there you go. Cool. Were those the three you were thinking I was going to say? Yep. yep oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I wrote about all seven episodes of Mad Men on my blog, and I just... part of Mad Men's hard to compare to these because it only had a seven-episode season this year. Mm-hmm. 
it's also a show in its seventh season, so it's just at a different point in its life. It's still, you know, Mad Men, I think, overall is the best show on TV for its lifespan and, and what yeah. it's done. But yeah. All right. All right. So that's... That's my mid-year analysis. Yep. And that's your mid-year analysis. Yep. Your recommendation for TV show of the year is probably still The X-Files? Sure, yeah. It's The X-Files and Doctor Who. Okay. Just go to watch. Go watch those. I yes. Guess. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just my constant recommendation for TVs. Like, just go watch it. And fuck it, go watch Columbo. Because Columbo is also awesome. Oh, right. I made fun of it that one time I brought it up. That's Still fuck you for that, because Columbo is still fucking awesome. All right, so Sean, what are we going to be talking about in the weeks to come? Destiny Beta is coming out in about a week, so. We got that. We got Guardians of the Galaxy coming out. That's true, yeah. We got some other interesting movies and things coming out soon. I'm Like I said, at the top of the show, I mentioned Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That comes out this week. Yeah, so... The stuff is happening again. Yeah, yeah. and in, in August we'll have, we'll have to do some kind of Doctor Who preview episode. Yeah, obviously. we always do. We, yeah, we have to. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what there is to mine from Doctor Who that we haven't done in a general sense so far. Yeah. But I don't know. You know what could be fun? We could do an episode talking about different Doctor introduction episodes. Watch those and talk about them again. Fuck it, sure. Yeah, that could be a fun not? one. Because a lot of them are really good. Yeah. And some of them are the yeah, Twin Dilemma. Yeah, and... really good, yeah. Yeah, Twin... I'm going to make you watch Twin Dilemma. How long is it? I think it's... I, th- I want to say that one's like one of the four episodes. It's not one of the crazy ones. It's either four episodes of 25 minutes, or that might be when they switched to two episodes of 45 minutes each. I don't remember when that switch happened. Well, it was the season finale technically that year, yeah. because Caves of Androzani was the second yeah, to last. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Either it's way, not, it's not it's that not, much. It's not okay. like the War Games or something. Okay. But can yeah. you imagine if it was the War Games length, but it was the Twin <sighs> Dilemma? <laughs> The I, war- would, I would be dead. I would have died watching it if it was that. Because the War Games is one of the great Doctor Who episodes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, it's one yeah. of my favorites, yeah. Yeah. So. so, yeah, you're going to, at some point before the new Doctor Who season starts, you're going to fucking watch Toon Dilemma. Because we have, I feel like every time we talk about Doctor Who's, like, history, I mention that somewhere because it's, it's easily one of, if not the worst episode of Doctor Who ever. So I'll watch it, and here's what I'm going to do. Will have to I'll watch, watch it. it, and then I'll listen to one of the Colin Baker audio dramas to kind yeah, of to, cleanse. to cleanse your palate. Yeah, yeah. sure. All right, so we've got plans. Yes, yeah, so so watch that, and then listen to Jubilee, and then it'll be good. Okay, so definitely, uh, listeners, you should catch up on these. Go watch some Doctor Introduction episodes, uh, and we'll talk about them in and, August. And if you watch Twin Dilemma, you know, be forewarned, it is not. It's not good. It's so not good. It is. It is fucking awful. It's but I so assume, fucking bad. But I assume it is a good intellectual exercise to analyze the ways in which it is bad. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like, if you are able to detach yourself so much from that, yeah, like, that can be a fun experiment. Yeah. Okay. Because so I'm going to also make a pact, Jonathan, since I'm going to re-watch it, too, because there's a lot I don't remember from it other than that it's okay. bad. So if you have to watch it, I'm going to have to watch it, too, or else I won't really be able to talk about it. Okay. So. We have made this terrible blood pact. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we said it now, so it has to happen. So, All right, well, coming soon to the weekly stuff. Yeah. Sean and Jonathan tortured themselves by watching The Twin Dilemma. Oh, God, what have we done? <laughs>